Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Merry to the pod rig this is under consultation extra a patron exclusive podcast guide through the licorice all sorts of 90s television i am one of your hosts luke owen a wooga motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> i thought you might have a similar name and i'm ash versus and i'm just going to shout a wooga at any given opportunity just to exclaim how happy i am to be here yeah i know right this episode this is never <laughs> this is an episode of Gladiators. The bridesmaid finally became the bride. A wooga! <laughs> Basically, we're both a wooga waltzing today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, no, we are reviewing uh, the Christmas special of Gladiators because it is the month of December. We're feeling pretty festive at the moment. This is the Christmas special that aired on the 26th of December, 1993. It's not only Gladiators, it's the Battle of the Gladiators. And this is Boxing Day Television. And Boxing Day Television, for me, always felt even more special than Christmas Day Television. Because Christmas Day Television, particularly with kids, there'd be hyped up, there'd be presents, and the BBC, bless them, they'd have a good film on. But even though you'd have these top-tier films on, and I'm thinking there were so many great blockbuster films that I saw, you were always competing with other family members, with kids, with the toys the kids had. 
and with people coming and going. But Boxing Day, Boxing Day was leftovers day. Boxing Day was chill out a bit. That's when you start on the Lego set. That's when you put aside the noisemakers. And that's when the television gets a bit more attention. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the time when you can you'll sit down, not just in the afternoon to, to watch a movie, but also there'll be a Coronation Street special that needs to be watched. There will be episodes like this. There'll be a Christmas special of Blankety Blank that'll be uh, available to watch. There will be just lots of great TV that needs to be sort of in, you know taken in. And joyously, there will actually be a special Blankety Blank this year. There is, isn't there? Yeah. Bradley Walsh, brilliant choice of host. That's going to be fun. Yeah. That's what you want from Christmas telly. Like this is what I like this episode here that we're about to review. This is proper lovely Christmas telly. And also this was Gladiators, not even when it was at its peak, but when it was on the rise, because here we are, end of season two. This is what's coming between the semi-finals and the final. And it's really where Gladiators has gone from being successful to it's a phenomenon. Oh yeah, this is now mega success. Wolf is saying how much he likes his gladiator duel game. Oh, he thinks the figures are great too. Especially the good looking one. Gladiator duel and gladiator figures. They're from Hornby. And they're wild. At this point, we have toys. We have videos. There's already been a number of Gladiator video cassettes released. We've got the Gladiators album out and the annual. Yeah, uh, so for podcast listeners, which is all of you, Ash has just held up that annual and that album. I believe, is that the 1994 Gladiators annual? It is, which means it would have come out in 1993, which is, this is the annual that goes with this special. So you would be sat there on Boxing Day with your annual you probably got from either your gran or santa Mm -hmm. and you can read all about the gladiators whilst you're watching them on the tv it's so exciting i loved an annual um my brother and i were we were beano and dandy kids every year you're guaranteed to get the beano and the dandy annual my brother would get the beano i would get the dandy bloody love desperate dan and just getting I, i got a real ghostbusters annual one year trying to think of some of the other ones that I would have got, but like I, I, the, the hardback covers that they came with, just, you know, we also have some nice comics in there, some little factoids, this and the other. Oh, brilliant. Actually, the, the lads on Sonic the Comic, the podcast, were talking about this quite recently, about, it's like, do we still, I mean, I'd imagine they still do Beano and Dandy annuals. Oh, yeah. I would have thought they do. Yeah, yeah, we must do, right? Oh, yeah, you definitely get them. You can find them in WH Smith's and then shortly after Christmas, The Works. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Christmas 1983, we're going to be doing a little bit of this on the Christmas special that will be actually out the week of Christmas. But did you watch this episode live? Absolutely must have. Um, My parents didn't really watch television. There wasn't much that we came together as a family to watch. But Gladiators, for some reason, had just kind of caught the attention of the entire household, which of those that were aware of it at the time would have been myself, my mum and my dad. And as time went on in the 90s, Saturday nights were gladiators and a burger and chips 
from Burgerstar, which is a very regional burger chain. Mainly West Midlands and the surrounding area with the tagline Burgerstar Best by Far. Well, that's a cute tagline. They were pretty good at the time as well, and they were the only burger chain I knew of in my limited experience as a teenager that had a sauce bar. <laughs> nice. With garlic mayo. And I tell you what, even to this day, I rarely encounter garlic mayonnaise that is as garlicky as that. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, it was proper strong style. It, it's so funny, isn't it, when you talk about... You know, certainly people of our generation, sort of people of our age, that you talk about Saturday night. The first thing they'll say is like, well, Saturday night telly, for starters, gladiators, blind dates, this, that, and the other. But also your tea, like the, the tea that you had. Because I think of a Saturday night, I think of... Um, Corned beef hash. Corned beef hash and beans is that was my Saturday night tea along with gladiators. I think the main reason we got Burger Star is because my parents ran their own business. Uh, they ran retail. And so, whereas most people worked Monday to Friday and then Saturday was when you went out with the kids and did the shopping, my parents were working. They were working from eight o'clock until five, six, whatever in the shop. They didn't particularly want to have to cook dinner on a Saturday oh, night. Yeah. So things would start to shut up. Then one of them would go, usually with me in tow, up to Burger Star. You'd get the food. It'd usually be given over in like a cardboard box that some of the veg had given in because over a certain size, there was no point in using a bag. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, and then we went home and that was it. I don't know if your family was like this, but if it came to a fish supper, like fish and chip shop, that was a Friday night thing. Bubbly batter. Young's fish like you've never seen. Oh yeah, no, totally. Fish and chips is a, it's a totally a Friday night tea. I mean, like for us, we get pie and chips, but yeah, that is on a Friday night you would do that. Curry would have been a Saturday night thing because we used to get when Sainsbury's first started doing like curry takeaways. You basically just get like a box thing. And you would get two curries and a side and some rice and, and, and whatnot. And they'd bring that home. And that would be a Saturday night tea. But later in life, like when we actually had the, our local to, uh, open up, the Indian Spice, that was when it became Friday night. That was when curry night became a Friday night uh, like tradition, basically. Every Friday, you'd go down to the Indian Spice or you'd get the Indian Spice delivered to you. I don't think I started having takeaway curry. And that was, again, that was a Friday night thing for me, but I don't think that started until I moved to London for the first time. Yeah. That was when I started to get access to a decent curry house nearby. There was a curry house where I grew up. It was closed down by health and safety at least twice a year and then reopened by a different group. <laughs> oh, but they man. were all related. It was just a case of the Chinese restaurant was fine, but it was too far out of town to go to. And then there was the curry house which I'm fairly certain was a money laundering operation because, yeah, they were constantly being closed down. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that, that sounds, yeah, sounds a bit suspicious, doesn't it? I was trying to think if I did watch this episode live, I must have done, at least, like, in my mind, I'm, when I was watching it, in fact, I was like, 
I, I'm actually having some memories of watching this when it first aired, but I can't quite place it. And the reason why I'm struggling is I'm trying to think if this year, this Christmas, 1993, I was at my nan's house. Like we traveled up to Skelmersdale to go see my nan. And I, I just got this feeling that we did. And if we did go to my nan's house, I very much doubt we would have watched Gladiators because I don't think my grandparents were particularly into that sort of show. I don't think it had been their thing. But then I'm trying to think, what else would it have been? Because it wouldn't have been Corey or Emmerdale. They're all on ITV. So I've absolutely no idea what we possibly could have watched that wasn't Gladiators. Well, to feed off you wondering what you were watching, I've actually made a discovery. We were wrong. This wasn't Boxing Day Gladiators. This was Christmas Sunday Gladiators. Because you said it aired on the 26th, yeah? Mm Mm-hmm, correct, yeah. Christmas Day was on the Saturday this time which meant that Sunday was Christmas Sunday and Boxing Day was Monday, which is a weird occurrence that I cannot remember happening before. It will happen in a year or so's time because we're coming round to it again. Yeah, Christmas is on a Friday this year, so I would presume next year will be that. That's I, I, I can't remember that scenario happening any time in the recent years. But if you're wanting to know what your grandparents could have been watching on Christmas Sunday... Well, at 3.15 on BBC One, we had the film Superman 3. Christopher Reeve, Richard Pryor. I'm fairly certain this is where I saw that film for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 5.15, Antiques Roadshow, The Next Generation. That's prime Definitely. grandparent territory. Definitely would have been watching that, yeah. Then you got the news and weather at 6, standard. 6.15, Christmas Presents, a Songs of Praise special from Wembley Conference Centre with Cliff Richard... And Gloria Gaynor. If Gladiators is on at this same point over on ITV, that is definitely what we're watching. What, Gladiators or watching Christmas? Songs of Praise. Like, if if, if that is airing opposite Gladiators, we're definitely watching Songs of Praise. It's something about grandparents. They just love Songs of Praise. They love Harry Seacombe. Yeah, it it is. I mean, I'll be honest, I wouldn't have been watching Songs of Praise. I probably would have been playing with whatever toy that I got this year, or, as we were talking about in a previous episode, likely Link's Awakening on the Game Boy. Still perfectly, perfectly valid. I guess for the key demographic 18 to 40, which is that's, that's what they call the key demographic in television now, isn't it? It is, yeah, the 18 to 49 key demo, yeah. I mean, ITV were running pretty much uncontested because you know what? There aren't many 18-year-olds or indeed 20-year-olds or 25-year-olds in the UK in 1993 that are really going to give a shit about songs of praise. I actually text my mum today before we got done to record and I text my mum and I was like, were we at Nan and Grandad's for Christmas 93? My mum was like, I haven't a fucking clue. Like, why <laughs> did you expect me to remember that? I was like, I don't know. I'm doing a podcast about the 90s. I need you to remember these things. Didn't you keep a diary? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, woman. Help me out here. Check your Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> has Facebook offered it as a memory to you? <laughs> So it's December uh, 26th, 1993. We're not going to do the film and song like we would normally do because we'll do that on a main timeline episode. We're actually coming very close to it. Spoilers, Mr. Blobby is the song. Again. But this does also mean we're going to get to celebrate Christmas twice, Luke. Once now and once in, like, (laughs) February. It's Christmas! And then do you know what? I'm going to text my mum almost every other day being like, have you remembered yet? 
because I've got to record another podcast on about Christmas 93 soon. Have you remembered yet? But I actually got my notes wrong when I started writing about this. And I wrote down, because I, I checked, you know, when this aired, and I wrote it down initially as 26th of December 1992, because I thought this was the first year. I just I just read it wrong when I was on the screen. I, I made my notes far too early in the morning, it would seem. So that year, the, the Christmas number one that year, was Muppet Christmas Carol. And I got all excited because it's in the news again because the song has been rediscovered. They've actually found the original film negatives of When Love Is Gone so they can put it into the 4K release. And I've got tons of notes about all of that, which are now bloody useless because I got the smegging year wrong. And I realized I got the year wrong when they were talking about how um, Shadow is undefeated in Jewel. And I was like, but this is still series one. Oh, bugger, I got the wrong year, haven't I? There was a time when I was sure that you and I were truly one, that our future was forever and would never come undone. And we came so close to being close, and though you cared for me, there's distance in your eyes tonight. But while we're here, and while we can just sneak in a little bit of a reference to Muppet Christmas Carol and the fact that it's going to be restored for the first time since VHS, I did like, because they talked to Brian Henson about it. Mm -hmm. He's kind of like the guardian of the, the Muppet legacy now. And I loved when he said about how overjoyed he was to see it, how they surprised him with it. And then he was talking about it being made available. And he really put the ball back in Disney's court by going, they could get it on Disney Plus for Christmas. They'd have to rush, but they could do it. And I just want to believe that somewhere a Disney executive was like, you son of a bitch. It was so lovely, you know, and he explained you know, how the song was taken out of the movie and, spoilers, it was bloody Jeffrey Katzenberg because it's always, if ever there is a question, why was this thing changed at Disney? The answer is always, fucking Jeffrey Katzenberg did it. Not even Michael Eisner? No, I like Eisner would make some bad choices, but Jeffrey Katzenberg always seems to be the name that keeps cropping up and making all of the silly ones. And the silly thing that they did here was they took it out of the movie, then lost the negative. That, that's essentially what it boils down to. Brian Henson wanted it in the movie. Jeffrey Katzenberg said no, because it's not going to resonate with kids. Kids will find it boring. Brian said, that's fine. We'll take it out of the theatrical release, but we will put it into the home entertainment release. Katzenberg said, fine. They did that, then lost it. So this is why it's now taken 20 odd years for them to rediscover it and put it back in. I hope we get a special features out the wazoo 4K Blu-ray because it may just be me and you at this point, Luke, but I still love a good special feature. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. And I still hope that they do it as a... Because I, I go to see... I've told the story on the podcast before, but I go to see uh, Muppet's Christmas Carol every year at the Prince Charles Cinema. This will be the first year where I haven't seen it at the Prince Charles, for obvious reasons. And they do the gimmick every year where they were like, some of you will have seen this movie on VHS and you will know the song When Love Is Gone. And a few people will go like, hey, I know that song. And they're like, it's unfortunately not going to be in the version that we show here. But because it's Christmas, I've got a special little treat for you. And they just played that bit right at the start. They just played that one song. And we all have a laugh when Michael Caine forgets the words and just pretends to cry instead. 
I'm fairly certain I was there one year for that. In fact, there is a chance that we may have been in the same theatre together and just not known each other. <laughs> exactly. But I do remember going, oh, that's pretty cool, because I don't think I'd seen like the VHS version in forever. And then it goes up on the screen and I'm like, hmm, potato. Because, <laughs> unsurprisingly, VHS does not look good on like a 15-foot screen. Yeah, unfortunately not. Spirit, show me no more. Why do you delight in torturing me? Anyway, gladiators. Let's talk about gladiators. But we're not going to talk about it too much because, much like with Nightmare, there's a podcast for that. And mm -hmm. I'll be honest, it's a podcast that can do a better job than we ever can because it's literally coming from the horses' mouths, or in this case, instead of horses, gladiators. One of the co-presenters is Jet, Diane Udale. The guests frequently include other gladiators, other people involved. It, it Every week, it's something special and something awesome. And so if you want to know the story of what went into Gladiators, the Gladiators podcast, the GladPod, that's the one to go to. But to give a very, very brief rundown, Gladiators started broadcast October 1992. It was a British licensed version of American Gladiators. This is Malibu, the cool, laid-back surfer at home on the beach. You're looking at Lace, feminine, sexy, but always a lady. This is Gemini, a split personality, calm one minute, violent the next. This is Zap, strong, silent, the Terminator. You're looking at Nitro, cocky, explosive, and always aggressive. And this is Sunny, the all-American woman. These are the American gladiators. But ours is the better one. Oh, ours is absolutely the better one. Although they did get the revenge years later with BattleBots being way better than Robot Wars. <laughs> but no, our version was the better one because it just was. That's it. There is no ends to that sentence. It just was. It was still cheesy, but it wasn't quite as fake. They had less foam fingers. They had less programs. They had less national indoor arena atmosphere. Because that is as important to the show as anything else going on. But yeah, they licensed it to the UK. They made some format changes. They adapted games. They gave it their own twist. They did different things. And they came up with their own cast of gladiators and names and people behind the names. And we'll get to those because we get a lovely intro to them at the beginning of the show. Now, American Gladiators started in 1989. It ran through till 1996. Meanwhile, British Gladiators ran from 1992 to 2000, which I think means it outlived its originator, not by a huge amount, but by enough. Mm -hmm. And a big part of what made Gladiators the British version so good and such a phenomenon was there was nothing else like it on British television. In America... It was competing head-to-head -head with the WWF for that kind of spectacle, athletic, competitive shtick. At this point here in the UK, World of Sport was gone. British wrestling was Long at gone. its lowest point. Oh, yeah. It was pure butlins at this point, and, and there wasn't much good to it. But Gladiators came in, and it was big, it was bold, it was expensive. And it came from the Birmingham NIA. 
which was my local arena because I live just like a 45 minutes or so west, south-ish of it. Mm. The NIA is, what, five, six, seven thousand people, a huge open space. The set cost three quarters of a million pounds and took 72 people to build and just is huge. Even looking at it now, this set does not look cheap. This set no, looks it really doesn't. sturdy and well-constructed. Series 1 debuted, 10th of October 1992. It ran through until the end of the year, and we then had until August of 1993 for Season 2 to start, with the final episode airing on New Year's Day 1994. Yeah, yeah. In addition to the TV shows, they also ran live shows at Wembley Arena each year. Whilst this was a very cool way for them to reach a bigger crowd because Wembley Arena is like a legit 10,000 seat venue at the best of times it also gave them the chance to try out new events and new gladiators some gladiators would appear at these live shows and would then go on to make it into the TV show and indeed some never made it beyond those live shows they were just done and they were cut sadly some of these live shows also shortened the career of some of our gladiators as the majority of the career-ending injuries actually happened off tv yeah they just pick up injuries that they couldn't come back from that's what ended jet's run on gladiators she's talked about this on the glad pod i think it was on the very first episode because she's the co-host they kind of went through her career and yeah it was just picked up a back injury and then that was that gladiators was a hit with people of all ages adults children and pensioners that weren't watching songs of praise because it was such a hit with children it did actually get its own spin-off show on citv between 95 and 98 called gladiators train to win suspended 30 feet in the air is the skytrack gladiators and young athletes will compete in a tag team relay the winners receiving 10 points the runners up five Wolf will be tagged by Jose and Falcon by Adam. Good luck to them all. I have no memory of that whatsoever. And 95, I still would have been the target demographic for this show. I, I mean, maybe I have seen it, but I don't remember that at all. It was very much like a kid's version of Tough Enough. It featured young contestants playing adapted versions of the games featured in the kind of grown-up series, and they were all being mentored or kind of coached by gladiators acting as captains. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at pictures of it now, and yeah, like it is, it is exactly what you would imagine it to look like. Blow me down, I don't recall it whatsoever. And I definitely would have watched it. And whilst the original series was hosted by Gamesmaster alumni John Fashnu and Ulrika Johnson, Train to Win got Sharon Davis and Daley Thompson, which I feel is actually not a bad exchange. Also on board for at least the first couple of series was John Anderson, who is as recognisable a character in Gladiators as any of the Gladiators, Fashnu or Orika. Mm-hmm. He, his voice, his timbre, his presence was just so important to making the show feel legitimate. Very strong Scottish burr, not a guy that you'd mess with. And keep in mind, most of Gladiators had a good foot on him, a hundred pounds of muscle mass, and probably about 30 years his junior. This is a yellow card. Europe started to behave badly all over again. You pushed the contender after the game was over. 
and you're interrupting the interview. Yellow card, next time it's a red one and you're off. First rule of gladiators, never interrupt the star when he's interviewing. If you were to ask anyone from our generation, people of our age, you know, what do you remember of gladiators? One of the things they will tell you, one of the first things they will tell you is gladiators ready! Contenders ready! Three, two, one. And then you'd, and then off you go. Like that is he. You're absolutely right in that he is as recognisable. Perhaps like I think pe- some people would remember that over who the show's host were. People will remember a Wooga, and they probably and they may remember Ulrich Car 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 Car. But that's a different TV show. <laughs> but hands down, they will remember John Anderson. They may not remember his name, but they will definitely remember his voice. And some people would probably remember him over some of the gladiators. There was at least one gladiator in this show that I went, really? I I don't remember this guy, but we'll get to him. Now, as uh, Luke pointed out, for those of you that aren't on this two-way video call, I do have <laughs> the Gladiators annual. So as we go through the actual episode itself and we encounter different Gladiators, this annual has fact pages on all the Gladiators, Luke, that I think we should call upon in the interest of reference and research. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is supposed to be that sort of podcast. I'd be very upset with us. I'd be very disappointed in us if we did not refer to that tome. And regarding Ulrika and Fashnu, if you want to know more about them, you can go and listen to the under-consultation episodes (laughs) that they'd already featured on, because we've done our duty on those guys. I was going to say, we get quite a few uh, Games Master alumni in this episode. I'd say the majority of the contestants... And the host. And the gladiators. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, there, isn't, there isn't much we have to say about anyone, but it does mean <laughs> we just get to enjoy the show. And do you know what the first thing to enjoy about this show is, Luke? What's that? The theme music. I want to read you my notes here. So... I was writing my notes as I was doing this, as I do. And like my notes often just tend to be a stream of consciousness. My first notes here are, Gladiators open the show, wishing us all a Merry Christmas. I can see Jet. I'm in love again. And then in all caps, are you a gladiator? Holy shit, I'm seven years old again. Although, although at this point I would have been eight. It's as soon as that brass section kicks in. It is both incredibly dated, and even in the 90s, it was a bit cheesy. But also, it brought up, it brought up thoughts of kind of like massive spectacle and competition, like the Roman Colosseum, you know, like the one in Gladiator, which is why you didn't get that question on Nightmare. But we'll leave that. <laughs> but then you're into it, and suddenly it's not just a Roman Colosseum with trumpets and bugles. There's guitar, Luke. There is wailing, oh. wailing guitar. Ba ba bang. Ah. The artist behind this music was called Storm. This is pretty much it for his career as far as I know, but he did all of the music for Gladiators, all of the event music that you're going to hear in the background while we're talking about the events is by him. And some of them I'd forgotten he even wrote lyrics for. The Eliminator has lyrics. Does it really? Yeah, talking you through... The actual Eliminator event. Oh, no way. It is the Gladiator's equivalent of Partners in Crime Turtle Power. Let's just give you the entire plot of the Eliminator. 
in verse. During that title sequence, you see all of this roster of the Gladiators. The full 1993 roster included Cobra starring Sylvester Stallone, Falcor, Bass Hunter, Paul McCartney and Wings Jet, White Lightning, Lampshade, Sex Panther, Sauron, Scorchio, What We Do in the Shadow, Trojan XL, Warrior, Bad Wolf Bay and David Fincher's Zodiac. Or at least that's what I think it was. I was quite tired when I made those notes and for some reason that was the funniest fucking thing I've written all year. Do you know what the weird thing is? I also wrote down Lampshade, but by accident. You know when she gets interviewed later on? I wrote down Lampshade, gets interviewed, and someone's like, oh no, sorry, it's Nightshade. Off the bat, the guy that I didn't remember was Trojan XL. Sorry, just, just Trojan. Because <laughs> Trojan. I, he looks like he walked in from American Gladiators because he stood there in mirrored shades and he's the only one that looks a bit of a bell end. <laughs> he's a lovely guy. We get him on commentary later and he comes across as like really quite sweet and a little bit shy. But on this intro package, he just looks like a bit of a knob. <laughs> but we cut to the NIA. The crowd are there. They're going ballistic. The cheerleaders are there. The gladiator cheerleader squad. Holy shit, I've forgotten about them as well, Luke. And there are the gladiators coming out in their squad jackets. It's John <laughs> Fashnu. Awooga! Awooga! Good evening and welcome to the National Indoor Arena and to the Battle of the Gladiators. One with a difference. The difference being that tonight all our contenders are all sporting stars in their own right. Yes, five events, two go through to the Eliminator. The winner, £5,000. Runner-up, £2,000, which goes to a registered charity of the celebrity's choice. Not bad. Yeah, Fashion Ulrika, welcome us to the show. We are in the National Indoor Arena, but this show is going to be a bit different because it's a celebrity special. We have got sporting stars who are going to be taking on five different events. The final two will head into the Eliminator where the winner is going to get their charity £5,000 and the runner-up is going to get their charity £2,000. I do like how they say registered charities of their choice. Yes. Oh, yeah. Got You got to make sure that you're not giving money away to just some Tom, Dick and Harry. No, unless Tom, Dick and Harry happens to be the name of a registered charity. Exactly. And as you said, the episode is chock full of former Games Master alumni. And it, it's so lovely because it is actually like seeing old friends. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember you playing that football game. I remember you terrifying that kid and just, it was great. Well, that's it because the first people that we've got out here are Dennis Andres and Gary Mason. And the first thing I thought was like, wow, John Fashnu was Games Master Series 1, Episode 1. Gary Mason was Games Master Series 1, Episode 2. So like, and then you've got Ulrika Johnson who was in Series 2, Vinnie Jones who was in Series 2 and is going to be again in Series 3 as well. But just seeing Fash and Gary Mason there took me back to like around about this sort of time last year when you and I were first recording under consultation and getting those episodes ready to go out for the launch in January. Yeah, at this point, we were kind of putting the finishing touches to episode one, recording an introduction podcast and thinking smugly, we've got all of series one recorded. We're laughing. We're so far ahead of ourselves. Nothing can slow us down. And then hello 2020. <laughs> yep. Hi, Dennis. And welcome to Gladiators. Tell us a bit about your boxing achievements. 
Well, I'm the only man in Great Britain to win the WBC light heavyweight title three times. Tonight, or are you intending to take it very seriously? I'm not here for fun. I'm not a fun guy. I'm here. This is serious. <laughs> so we're out here. We're out here. <laughs> we're out here to give the gladiators a lot of problems tonight. Now, I'll talk a little bit about Gary Mason in a second because there is a few important things to note about him. But first up on the mic is Dennis Andreas, and it's another boxer. He turned pro in 1978. He won the WBC light heavyweight title in 1986 and then went on to win it a further two times, as he mentions on the mic to Arika. And he's on the show not to have fun. He's a fun guy. But this is serious, Luke. This is very serious. You will not believe how serious this episode is. <laughs> I was crying laughing. That's how serious this episode is. <laughs> but he says that all of them are out there to give the gladiators a load of problems. Yeah, I do like there's a bit of a running theme uh, with our Christmas group of celebrities here, which is we're here to, you know, cause a bit of a ruckus with these gladiators. They think they're all great, but now they're going up against us sport athletes. Let's we'll, we'll show them what we're, you know, what we're made of. You know, in fairness, the majority of them do deliver mostly kind yeah. of. <laughs> anyway, good old friend of the podcast, Gary Mason is up next. And he looks like he's just come out of the shower fully clothed. Gary, you're looking a bit hot. It looks like you've lost about a pound in sweat already. What have you been doing backstage? Well, listen, I was walking about backstage and I thought I was a big guy, but I saw some of the gladiators and I started panicking. Look, sweat. <laughs> <laughs> you're looking pretty hot. I've got a, a, a consistent note throughout this episode. Gary Mason is sweating. This man is drenched. Like, he's just standing there having a chat with Fash, and it looks like he's already done the Eliminator. Fash even comments on it, saying, you look like you've lost about a pound in weight since you've been out here. And Gary says it's from walking up and down backstage, and I'm like, walking up and down what? The wall? <laughs> it looks like he is just gassed already because this is Gary Mason has retired at this point but he's about to come out of retirement and he's doing this to be this this inspirational figure that's what Mason wants to be at this point he wants to be this inspirational figure to kids his whole purpose of being on this show is to get people off their couch and to get in don't have to get into a gym but just to get active and you too can be a hero like we are he runs down this thing of he hasn't had a pro fight since 89. He's been retired. He's clearly still in pretty good shape. I mean, he doesn't look out of shape. He's out of condition, I think, is the issue that's that exactly comes up. exactly it, yeah. But that's his angle. He says he's representing the person that sits at home watching people on Gladiators going, I could do that better. He's here for the everyman. It's a really sweet and wholesome message and I'd love it if it was delivered with a little bit more conviction and finesse because you want to talk about the impacts of a boxing career. We definitely see it with Gary Mason. This is not to say he's not a lovely guy, but there are a number of moments where he gets on the mic and you kind of wish he hadn't because he's trying to say something nice. Yeah. And at least he's trying. That is exactly it. At least, I mean, and you know what? Fair play to him. He comes technically joint second. Absolutely fair play to him. But the big takeaway here is that he is trying. Like, you, we were texting each other earlier about this, about Gary Mason's promos, and I was like, do you know what? 
bless his heart. And the fact that we both said pretty much at the same time, he was trying. At least he tried. But as you mentioned, he says he's just announced his comeback. He's hoping for one or two more fights. Maybe Bruno, maybe Lewis. Some excitement for the future. And he's going to do his best. Give it his best shot. And remember, we're all gladiators in life. I, I, I think this one works better than his one at the end, when he basically just takes the microwave for Rika to be like, can, can I do your job for a second? Oh, he does a Kanye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next out, it's Vinnie Jones and someone we've never encountered on this podcast before, and I doubt we'll ever encounter him again, Oliver Skeets. Hi, Vinnie, and welcome. Nice to see you're on time for once. <laughs> now, there's no two ways about it. You really are the naughty boy of football, aren't you? Well, I do like to bend the rules every now and then, and sometimes it helps us to win, and sometimes we don't get nothing out of it, just a lot of uh, problems. Now, are you gonna, you're not going to stick to the rules tonight, then? Probably not. <laughs> well, you're obviously going to have to develop a very strong relationship with John Anderson, our referee. He'll be seeing a lot of you. Any one particular gladiator you're looking forward to meeting? I've heard there's a little lad here called the Wolfman. I haven't seen him yet. I think he's hiding in the toilets. Oh, we'll certainly look forward to that confrontation. Vinnie Jones is here to try and raise money for charity. He's here to have a go of it. But really, Vinnie Jones is here to be Vinnie Jones. Because this is Vinnie Jones. We talked about this when he was on Games Master. He's got a reputation on the football field. He is a character outside of the sport. And that is what he is here to do. He's picking a fight with Wolf because, like, as soon as he comes out to the show, he comes out to here. My first thought was, God, I hope he goes up against Wolf. That would be brilliant. And that's the, as what he says, I was like, I've heard there's a little lad around here called the Wolfman. He's hiding in the toilets. It's proper panto shit, this. He, he's playing up into it. We're seeing the beginning of Vinnie Jones, the after-football career, the guy that goes on to be in Guy Ritchie films, the guy that turns up as a WWF pay-per-view, goes on microphone and just goes, it's going to be emotional! <laughs> or, of course, delivers the greatest line in cinema history. Don't you know who I am? I'm the juggernaut, bitch! I was proper looking forward to Vinnie Jones on this show. I thought he was going to be really... And you know what? He doesn't disappoint either. Oliver, tell us about yourself. How long have you been doing show jumping? About two to three years, two and a half years. Tell us, how did a black Rastafarian get into show jump? Are there any black Rastafarians in show jumping? No, I'm the only one, and I'm proud of that fact. Now, I made a bit of a joke earlier that here's a person we've never heard of before and we'll never hear from again with Oliver Skeets. But you know what? The dude's pretty impressive for a number of things, and it's brought up, and it's brought up by Fash immediately, which is the fact that he is a... Rastafarian show jumper. Two words that often don't go together, particularly at this point in time. And it's pretty wonderful that they do. And he openly admits he's only been into show jumping for two or three years. And he is the only one. And he's really proud of it. He got into this after taking his two little girls to horse riding lessons. And he stood there and he watched them. And the longer he stood there and watched them, the more he thought, I'm going to get into that. He was in his 30s when he started this. No way. Yeah, age 36. Wow. Was when he started actually show jumping professionally and competed at most levels. He never quite got to the top. 
he wanted to represent Barbados at the Olympics in 2000, but unfortunately didn't get the required number of points for qualification. The reason he wanted to represent Barbados is he'd also failed to get the required number of points to represent the UK. So, kind of unfortunate, but it's a really interesting, different sport to have represented on Gladiators and a real character. And he's a lot of fun on the show. Some of the really good comedy moments that don't involve Vinnie Jones going full panto villain come from him. Yeah, he's really, really good value. Particularly like because, of, you know, the, on the bench and everything, encouragements. When Fash has his incident, he's very, very good value during that. But he says tonight is very serious as there's money involved for good causes. Now we please welcome our fifth sporting superstar. He is Neil Adams. Tell us about your judo achievements. Um, well, I was world champion and I won two Olympic silver medals in Moscow and Los Angeles. And um, I've been five times champion of Europe as well. So you're used to quite large competitions, aren't you? Um, yes, I'm used to the big occasion, but nothing quite like this. But, uh, it's a bit of a monster, isn't it? It's a monster. And uh, I mean, we've all been talking in the back there and uh, we've decided that we're going to give these gladiators a run for their money today. What a fabulous promise. Neil Adams. So it looks like Neil Adams is our last contender here. Seems weird that there is only five. He's a judo world champion, though. He's got two Olympic silver medals. He's a five-time champion of Europe. He's not done anything quite like this. This is a this is a monster. Yeah, as you said, he was a five-time, 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 five-time world champion. I think I got the right number of fives. <laughs> yeah. He was also the first British male to actually win that world title. And interestingly, he has a tie to a future gladiator because back in the 1980s, he was engaged to Sharon Davis, who for one season in season four became known as Amazon. That's cool. That's a really cool little like, yeah, that's, that's nice. He does also tow the company line at this point and says, like the others, he's going to give these gladiators a run for their money. They're wanting to come across as serious and not your standard it's a knockout kind of celebrities pratfalling. I kind of appreciate it because even when this show is cheesy, it's always sincere, I think. Yeah. I, fact, no, I, absolutely, yeah. In fact, I'd say this show is probably the closest it comes to actually becoming a bit self-parodying. We do get some pantomime antics a bit later. But you know what? In the spirit of the episode, they work just fine. Exactly, yeah. I think like all of the, the other sportsmen are here to, to be very... Take your subject matter seriously, and, and everyone else will, and I think they do this. Uh, Vinny is there to be the pantomime villain, and that's fine, because Vinny can be the pantomime villain, because our actual final competitor is going to be taking this very, very seriously. And now it's time to meet our fifth sporting superstar, who is... There's no one there, Ollie. I'm going to have some of the fun. Why not? Two years I've been doing gladiators and I want some of the action. You're going to take... Yeah. 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 That is terrific. I have got to know you quite well over the past couple of years and I must say, we all know you as a footballer, but uh, you're an incredible martial arts expert as well, aren't you? Yes, I've been doing martial arts for quite a period of time now. And as you've seen me here, we've been doing quite a bit on each show. Um, every week when you see the shows, I like to do a little bit of warm-up with a few uh, routines, that's it. 
So it's nice to be able to pit your wits against the best. I mean, some of these gladiators, I've seen them now for a long time. They are very, very good. So your experience is going to come in quite handy. Well, I hope so, Ollie. I hope so. <laughs> now listen, I'm not allowed to be biased in this, but I'll let you into a little secret. I'll be pitching for you, love. Oh, thanks, Ollie. You're a darling. Thanks, Ollie. I'll need that. <laughs> John Fashionu. I popped for this. That's exactly it. I popped. Massive, massive pop because Fash has clearly been dying to do this. He's clearly been so up for doing this since day dot of doing this show. He is like, he really wants to show that he can do this. And it's, it's quite lovely. Like he is determined to not only win as many points as he possibly can, but to make sure he also wins the eliminator. Now we already know he's a footballer. That's his background. He's also apparently a martial artist in his own right, which I didn't know, but we see some of those moves in this show and they are bloody impressive. Mm -hmm. He has a distinct advantage over a lot of his competitors in that one, he is there week in, week out. He sees people succeed and fail at these events. He's probably also had more access to the events than any of the others. In fact, there's a couple of little jokes about it later on. I was going to say, Panther accuses him of doing so. And that being the reason why he doesn't know his lines. <laughs> but next to Vinny, he is the best equipped from a cardio point of view for this show. Because they're footballers. They run. They spend 90 minutes going up and down a pitch with only a small break in the middle. So whilst other competitors will have more body strength, more kind of like pure muscle, when it comes to stamina, he's got an advantage. Dude, did you see him during Powerball? Fucking hell, he's quick. I'm looking forward to talking about that because that's just <laughs> such a fun event in so many ways. But you know oh, what? Yeah. He's got another key advantage. Apparently, Ulrika will be pitching for him. Yeah, and I really love this dynamic between... Well, I was going to say between Fashionu and Ulrika, but really, it's this dynamic between Fash and Ali. I love the nickname Ali. I wish I'd known about it earlier. This entire episode, even with some of the shenanigans we get later, it's just fucking wholesome. It's Isn't it so, just? It's so lovely. Although my brain did go, why is Ulrika getting an erection? Because when I think of the term pitching, it's like the pitching a tent. Mm -hmm. so, so Ali is getting a lady boner for fashion. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, to be fair... He's an attractive gent. It's understandable. I was going to bring this up a little bit later on, and I will do, in fact. I'll, I'll save the story for then. But this is one of the few times where I've done something for this podcast that my wife has seen a little bit of. And that was one of the first comments she made was like, well, his legs are very nice. They are some of the nicest legs we have on display. <laughs> Certainly better than Vinny, who, I'll be <laughs> honest, when he ah. comes out for this little interview segment that we've just done, he looks like the kid that forgot his PE kit and had to dress yes. out of yeah out of the <laughs> leftovers like it's a loose fitting tank top and tracksuit trousers that look like they're being held up with string and it's because he is just wiry and muscular it's not because like they're actually oversized whereas Ashnu is very well rounded in his toning and his structure Vinny is like super high muscle percentage there, there isn't yeah. much fat on him yeah, Vinny is a perfect combination of professional footballer and two pints of lager and a packet of crisps. 
body of one, personality of the other. In, in a way, and also like almost the body of both as well. Like it's the personality and body are sort of both combining together because he's not fat, but it also looks like he's definitely had some pints in his time. Like he is not, he's not strict to a, uh, a regiment, if you will. He's, he's strict five days a week. <laughs> yeah, but come Saturday, and he's down the, after a game at Wimbledon, he's down the boozer. Fashnu leaves the stage to get ready. He thanks Ali and gives us an awooga. And you know what? He awoogas a lot in life. He awoogas even more on this show. There's a lot of awoogering going round. You can hear him shouting it during the events. It's fucking <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> this special charity event has raised £22,000 for the British Sports Association for the Disabled. And the winner tonight will be given £5,000 to give to a charity of their own choice and £2,000 to the runner-up. That's a massive £29,000 to charity. Now, we recorded our first event, Danger Zone, earlier. Here's some of the highlights of the hot show action. I have got no complaints about this show whatsoever. I'm just going to put that out there now. Bloody love this. I had a great time watching it. However, 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 I was gutted we did not get to see Danger Zone in full because that was my favorite event. Now, if we look at the fact that we've got two more competitors than we normally have, and also there's a few extra bits and pieces and shenanigans going on, there was always, I think, going to be one event that was going to be not just trimmed, but cut to highlights. And if you look at how all the other events play out and how the scoring goes, Danger Zone is the smart one to cut because, oh, yeah, everyone scores on some level and a lot of them actually achieve it the same way. Before we get into what we see in the highlights, we should probably cover what Danger Zone is because we can't guarantee everyone has had the same joyous experience as us watching this episode of Gladiators, but you can find it on YouTube if you know where to look. So as it's your favourite event, loop, give us a rundown of Danger Zone. Well, Danger Zone is basically a video game, and that is why I love it. You are on the bottom level, and you are running between sort of like targets and, and things like this. You run to one area, you lift up, and you try and shoot at a target that is on a higher level. You miss that one, you go to the next one, look up, do that, listen in it. If you don't get the target, you can always try and avoid being shot, get through and hit the target at the end, and that will give you five points. If you hit the target up top, you get 10 points. But all the while, you have got a gladiator hunting you down. They're trying to shoot at you from above, and it's brilliant, and I absolutely loved it. This was an event brought over from the American version. It was done so with relatively few changes, but one major difference is that you're running around the course between these different weapon stations. And in America, you get to the weapon station and then you have as much time as you decide to take to take your shot. In the British version, as soon as the whistle blows, the clock is ticking and every 10 seconds, a station blows up. Not look proper blows mm. up, a couple of sparkler pyros go off. But to all extents and purposes, you can't use it after that point. So if you take too long to get between stations, the weapons are going to have gone before you get there. If you spend too long aiming, the weapon will become defunct whilst you're holding it. It adds a real sense of urgency and it means even in highlight form where everyone does something well it makes it exciting because we get lots of pyros in a very short space of time. Oh yeah, this would be a really fun one to watch live because it's pyromania. But also, it's basically laser quest, but on steroids. Or nerf. Yeah, nerf is also, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Because actual projectiles. 
Yeah, and you're right. And it's very nerfed because the guns that they have are massive and they've got like these big sort of comedy target scopes on them and this, that and the other. Oh, it's wicked, Ash. It's basically, it's a living video game. But in this highlights video, we do get one of the big differences for this episode, which is we're going into gender on these challenges because it's an all-male challenger selection, but... We've got gladiators, both male and female, competing on the other side, and it starts with the females. And first up, they show Dennis versus Panther. And I've got the gladiators annual to hand, and so I'll just cherry-pick a little fact, because they've all got little facts and figures and little interviews. And for Panther, I'll just go with the introductory paragraph, because it is both amazingly glamorous and at the same time not. This sleek feline says she takes her gladiator success all in her stride. Panther is flattered to be recognised in the streets of Slough, where she now lives. Oh, Slough. Of course it's Slough. It's quite astonishing, she says, but quite gratifying. Panther should be well used to media attention, as she won the bodybuilding titles of Miss Britain, Miss Europe and Miss Universe, as well as the title of Miss Russia. That's a lot of misses, Luke. That is a lot of misses. Not more than five. Uh, Close, though. And apparently her favourite event is Atlaspheres, and her least favourite event is Jewel. So there we go. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. Jewel's a tough one. But Dennis picked up five points in his one because he didn't hit the targets up by Panther, but he did get through to the end. Mason took on Zodiac, and again, he also picked up five points. And then it's Oliver versus Falcon, and he's the first one to actually hit the target and get the ten points. Our boy Vinnie Jones took on Scorpio and also got five points, which will be probably the best he'll do all night long. But also, what style? Because how exactly does he get those five points, Luke? (laughs) Talk us through it, Ash. Why won't you? Well, he makes it through the course. He doesn't get hit by any of the projectiles. He doesn't manage to hit Scorpio with any of the projectiles either. He then gets through the tunnel and he gets to the target. Now, most people, they will slap the target. They will punch the target. They will push it with both hands. Not Vinny. Vinny jumps and nuts it. (laughs) As Luke has alluded, he doesn't do very well tonight, but you know what? That's the most stylish five points that anyone scores because no one else in this show scores five points by headbutting a target. No, I mean, Vinny Jones is our Oliver Davis on Quizzlemania for this episode. And he, I mean, you know what? I'm glad that he got to have this one moment here. Turning to Scorpio's page, because she also gets a double-page spread in this annual, she considers one of her most frightening moments on the show watching Warrior eat. (laughs) And as regarding the tremendous success of the Gladiators, she thinks it's a great show which has created new heroes. It's great to see the multitudes of children wide-eyed and happy. The best part is being part of a great team. That's really nice. And it's true. These were larger-than-life characters that really were heroes. To, to children everywhere and objects of desire to slightly older children and adults everywhere. Speaking of objects of desire, Luke. I was going to say, speaking of which. Still my beating heart, Jess, is, uh, is up last uh, against John Fashnu. This does have a very lovely moment here, though, because Fashnu gets to show off some of those martial arts skills that he was talking about earlier, and Jet mimics him. <laughs> 
and after she's done mimicking him, does just kind of throw up her arms going, well, I don't know what I'm doing at this point. We're having a bit of a laugh. Because she's the best. She's absolutely the best gladiator on that. She's the best thing about this show. While Fash does this, and I think we get slightly more highlights of Fash than some of the others, he's not just moving quickly, and bloody hell, he moves quickly. He's doing the judo rolls, he's throwing himself around the floor, and for some people, they could look like a proper prat doing that. He makes it look cool. He is not only taking this very seriously because Fash wants to do well here, he's having the time of his life. He is having such a good day. And he's really having a good day when he fires off that weapon and dethrones Jet for 10 points. I wonder if one of the reasons he's so desperate to win this isn't just a matter of personal pride or because he's watched people do it for two seasons and he wants to go. Can you imagine? He does this and he loses and he's then got another, what, six seasons of being around all these gladiators who can go, well, didn't quite cut it, did you, Fash? Not in a nasty way, but just in a kind of like, you know, locker room ribbing kind of way. Bants, Luke, bants. I was going to say, if Fash was in the Vinnie Jones role on this episode, I would imagine it would have been a very different atmosphere. I do also think, I may be giving some illusions here, and I don't fully believe this, some of the gladiators may have taken it slightly easy on him, particularly when we get to the wall. We'll get to that in a minute. But I think that he was always destined to win this. And it's fair to say that the only moments in this episode that ever feel a little bit screwy, unless they're Vinnie Jones panto moments, are some ones involving Fash, one of which works in his favour and the other of which doesn't. But that's something we'll get to a bit later, because we've still got... Yeah, you said we've still got... I actually thought that Fash was the last one, but he's not. Neil Adams is the last one that we've got here, taken on uh, Lampshade. He gets 10 points. Both Olympians, Luke. Both Olympians. Now, of course, during all these events, be they highlights or full events, we're not watching them alone, are we, Luke? We've got a voice in our ear. We do indeed. We've got John Sachs on commentary. That is a recognisable voice as well. He was with Gladiators from 92 through to 1999. And in addition to being a radio DJ, he's gone on to have roles as announcers in other things, including Dancing on Ice. And most recently, Alan Carr's epic game show, which as a concept is great. Unfortunately... It's only the concept that is great. I do not recommend that you watch Alan Carr's epic game show. Yeah, good idea. It's a good idea on paper. It doesn't quite all come together. I like Alan Carr in some things. He's not always my cup of tea, but I think he was the wrong choice for this vehicle. I think you needed someone a little bit more dry. But speaking of John Sachs, it's the end of event one, even if in highlight form. Should we go over to John and find out what the scores are? After the first event, Vinny, Dennis and Gary are on five, Fash, Neil and Oliver all on ten. So sit back and enjoy the rest of the show as it happens. Event two is Powerball. We get our first proper event up next that we actually get to see in full, I do mean, uh, which is Powerball, which we've kind of sort of alluded to earlier. So Powerball is a game where you've got five buckets in the middle, so weeble buckets, and you have got to get your little foam balls into the buckets. Sounds simple enough, right? Problem is, you've got three gladiators that are basically just rugby tackling you to the floor at every opportunity. And if you go down, you don't get to get back up and pop it in. No, that's your try done. You've got to run to the other end, pick up another ball, have another crack at it. 
This was one of the games I know we played on the school sports field because realistically, oh, yeah. what was this, Luke? It was British Bulldogs, but with, yeah. with balls, essentially. And so we'd have kind of hula hoops on the ground and we'd have, I think we might have even had beanbags. It wasn't even balls, we had beanbags. But then we basically played it with British Bulldogs until it was banned along with British Bulldogs because, you know, someone went and broke an arm. Daddy kids. But despite its resemblance to a British standard playground game, this was another American original event. It made its debut in the second series, so it wasn't one of the original events. But, oh, it's a good event. It's a fun event. It's a dynamic event. And it is an event where quite often, particularly with the male gladiators and the male contestants, the sportswear that they're wearing does have a tendency to get damaged because it's one of the few events that is full contact. There's yeah, no... this is a physical game. It's super physical, and I tell you what, the first team of gladiators going up against Dennis and Gary are also super physical because it's the Wolfman, it's Hunter, and it's Trojan XL. And you want to talk about, like, taking you back. When they come out and in the background you can hear, the boys are back in town, the boys are back in town... It's so bloody wonderfully panto. I was looking at the playlist on this Gladiators album and I was looking at the tracks and going, yeah, I remember which one that was used. I remember when they played that on the show after this event and so on and so forth. And I was looking down that playlist and I was thinking, I bet Luke hates most of these songs. <laughs> Meatloaf's on there. There's no chance, really. I, don't, I never said I don't like Meatloaf. I just said I've never listened to an album. Although, actually, was Bat Out of Hell ever used in Gladiators, or did they just look at the song and go, well, that's eight minutes, we don't have to fill up on a CD? Hey, this is popular. But whilst Wolf may be the pure heel of Gladiators, if you want to talk about a pure babyface, it's got to be Hunter. He's really a babyface. He's only 19 years old at this point. No way, he's only 19. He's 19 years old, and at this point, six foot three inches tall, 18 stone, 50-inch chest to a 34-inch waist. That, that's, that's basically a, a triangle. I was going to say, that is a proper triangle of a man. That is a Mr. Men character. His favourite event is tilt. The toughest event he finds to be the wall, which I can understand because a frame that size, the wall's not going to be a lot of fun. And they ask him in his little interview, what do you hope to achieve with gladiators? And he says, I'd like to be the strongest and fittest gladiator I possibly can. I was really excited about being selected. All that hard training has at last paid off. And later on, I hope to have a clandestine affair with Orika Johnson. Bloody hell. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but at this point, we all know that that's what happened. Because <laughs> at the time, when that scandal broke in the papers, Orika was like, no, and Hunter was like, no. And then in 2003, when she put her book out, she was like, yeah. I was actually hoping that when the interview was like, what do you hope to achieve from this? I thought his answer would be a better haircut because... He, he may be a young lad, but he has got a proper shite haircut. Over to John Anderson. And of course, these boxers used to wear Three, gum shields. Two, one! But for this episode, we now get the debut of John Anderson, that delightful Scottish burr, as he counts down to the start of this first round of Powerball and the race is on. Yeah, so we've got Gary Mason up first along with Dennis because there's three gladiators and two competitors, right? So there's always going to be two gladiators on one person. And the gladiators very wisely decided to have their two taken on Gary because he's the bigger lad. 
And Gary, by the end of this, is completely gassed. He is out of breath. He is just, he's wheezing. He is chugging back air. But he does really well on this. He scores six points in all of this because he is a big, strong boy. And while Hunter and Wolf predominantly focus on, on Gary, ripped for her pleasure, he's all about zoning in on Dennis. And God, he takes him down with a wallop, particularly that first yeah. impact. I, again, I wonder if on some level these gladiators are actually going harder with the celebrities because particularly with these big guys, these boxers, they're like, you're professional athletes. We know that you, you're more likely to be able to take this stuff than the guys that are maybe amateur fitness and then come in for the show. The everyman, the guy on the street. Some, some of the impacts and takes down we see in all three of these rounds. I was smiling all the way through this episode, but that didn't stop me occasionally wincing. Yeah, particularly because Dennis apparently picked up an injury during the training on this day as well, like in sort of the practice sessions. So when he's taking some of those really hard hits and those really big tumbles, felt a bit bad for him. And eventually his tactic is rather than try and get past trojan is just to throw the ball and hope that he can he can basically net it it's a tactic Mm. doesn't work but it's a tactic but we get to the end the final whistle blows gary is on six points and dennis now he only gets two which in the post-match after clarifying that he injured his leg in practice when he's told he has two points he says not bad for a cripple yeah. Mm. Mm. Let's just leave that one where it lies and move on. Oof, just let that hang for a bit. Gary, on the other hand, I mean, he was sweating at the start of this show. He is sweating even more now. And the first thing he does is hug Ulrika Johnson. Who says it's turned into a wet t-shirt contest. But I'm also looking at it and going, how many t-shirts has he sweated through at this point? Because it's got to be oh number my- three or four. He is a big, burly boy, man. And he is sweating wetting up a storm we were recording over this summer when it was warm and we recorded remotely and of course both you and i are in our homes and we have things going on outside our homes so when we were recording we had to keep our windows shut in summer mm-hmm. and as we recorded through the evening the temperature went up and there were moments where you could see me physically just <laughs> drenching with sweat and having a towel because it was so goddamn hot when we were trying to record. And I felt really embarrassed when that happened. But you know what? Gary made me feel slightly better about myself (laughs) because I'm thinking I at least had a reason. He was just standing still at one point and still melting. Maybe that can be a a new catchphrase for this or a new logline for this show. You may have been sweating, but you'll never be Gary Mason sweating. If you're really, really nervous, that's when you're Gary Mason sweating. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get to the next two competitors... I've got a note here because they sh- they show you know shots of the crowd and stuff, and I couldn't help but notice there's a kid in the front row who's got a program on his lap, and I've just written here. I bet you he's having the best day. I can't believe that I lived so close to Birmingham and never got to see gladiators. <laughs> Honestly, probably because my parents were working and I'd have had no way to get there. That's probably what it came down to. And I know it was a long show to record. We've heard about like a lot of things. There was all the setup time between each event. But I'm fairly certain me of that time would not have given two shits. I'd been hopped oh, yeah. up on fizzy drinks and NIA hot dogs and nachos and just I'd have been having the time of my life. Next up in the Powerball pitch, 
It's Vinny and Oliver. And they're going to be facing Warrior, Saracen and Cobra. Over to John Anderson. ready. There's our Vinny. Oh, that's a promising start. Throws the ball at Saracen. Lost none of his charm, mind you. It was a good shot. So coming up next, we have got Vinnie Jones and Oliver Skeets going up against a warrior, Saracen, and Games Master alumni, Cobra. And it's panto season, Luke, <laughs> because John Anderson is trying to get things underway and Vinnie decides to kick off. Literally, he picks up a ball and throws it at the back of Saracen's head. Now... I'm going to go out on a limb here, Luke. I think this was pre-planned. I don't know why. I think that maybe there'd been some shenanigans and this might not have been as, honestly, Vinnie Jones being a bad boy as we might have been led to believe. That being said, that was a hell of a shot. Oh, yeah, it was good, wasn't it? And also, maybe he was meant to throw a ball at Saracen and hit him. I'm not sure he was meant to hit Saracen in the back of the head because Saracen looks legit pissed off like th yeah. there's an element of oh i meant to be angry at him because he's the villain and boo bad boy of football but there's also a moment of you hit me in the back of the head you get yeah i think there is a it's very much played up the the vinnie jones thing right but i also do think that these gladiators are here to, you know they want to be respected there they are they're the gladiators right you don't want to have, be showing up in all of this so when things like this happen, I do think there is a moment where like a, a, a switch is flicked and they go from realizing this is Panto villains. It's just like, you did what, mate? Well, now I'm going to go after you. And, you know, and it is, they get into a bit of a scuffle and John Anderson's got to separate them and stuff. And, get, and like John Sachs on commentary, I, I, I would wager he's, you know, he's really playing up this idea that the Vinny is the, the Panto villain because he has the line here where he says, it's time to put up or shut up. And Vinny gets wiped out immediately and he shouts, shut up, Vinny. Because the whistle blows and Vinny is a marked man. And how do you know he's marked? Because he's steamrolled by Saracen and Cobra. And they don't just take him down. They body tackle him. He gets hammered to the ground. He does just shake it off and get up and keep going. Yeah, he has got one tactic here, which is just, I'm going to charge at them. Eventually, I'm hoping it will work. Spoilers, it does not. He's not the only one with a tactic, though, because Oliver has a clever tactic. Where's the ball, Luke? He doesn't have a ball. <laughs> He's put it in his pants, mate. But, but the ball's meant to be in his hands, Luke. And there is a moment where the gladiators do not realise what he's done. They catch on with him because, you know, there's a massive ball stuck down his shorts. But because it's in his back, he's yeah. towards them with both hands out. And you do see them double take of like, I don't know how to react to this situation. What exactly am I meant to do when a contender approaches me with no ball? I guess I should just let him. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> But although it is a fairly clever tactic, we get halfway through the time that they've got allotted for this and no one has scored yet. Eventually, Oliver gets some points. But Vinny just keeps charging and just keeps getting knocked down as the time runs out. He shoulder barges Saracen at one point. Nothing to do with the score. He just wanted to do it. 
school event, the scores stand as follows. Vinny scored no points. Oliver picked up two points. Well, you might think it a little unfair, two on to one against Vinny, but you've got to ask yourself who started it. And they say, don't start what you can't finish. Because yeah, Ulrika, bless her, is trying to like run through the scores, like trying to tell them what scores they got. But they're just fighting. Like, Warrior gets into a fight with him, and then we get the showdown that we've been waiting for, that some, a part of this show is all built around. Where's Vinny off to? Oh, Vinny Jones is taking on the Wolf. And Vinny makes Wolf look like he came from the Lucy Clayton School of Deportment for young ladies. Look at this. They look like the Ugly Sisters. Oh, here comes Widow Twanky, Gary Mason, to break it up. It's a family show, folks. Yes, I must say. That's as near as you get to a handshake with these guys which is the showdown between Vinnie Jones and Wolf. A proper load of like, you want some? And then this big pull-apart brawl and everything. Oh, it's pretty wicked. Like Fashion Mason, like they get in there to make them shake hands and all this sort of stuff. And John Sachs ends this all off saying like, I wonder if Vinnie is in panto. He'd make a great buttons if they put them on his mouth. Savage. He's only saying that because he's up in the box and Vinnie can't get to him or hear what he's saying. <laughs> An interesting thing they've done for this episode, which they don't normally do, is rather than the other competitors being backstage, they're all kind of sat out on a bench. It is like a school gym class. They're not They're not in the locker room. They're just sat it's there watching PE. the other people <laughs> going, yeah. But it does mean that the camera gets to cut to them and we get various reactions. And of course, when Vinny decides to go after Wolf, which is, oh, that's proper pro wrestling tactics, that is. They're, they're teasing the showdown, which, you know, we do get. Oh, they also work very hard to protect Wolf's gimmick because after the first Powerball round, when, you know, there's all high fives and hugs between the contestants and the gladiators, as soon as it gets towards Wolf doing anything with the competitors, they cut away because they don't want to show him shaking hands. They don't want to show him smiling. They, they cut away from them at one point in the post-match when they're being talked about and they cut just as Wolf's corner of his mouth is starting to go up. It's like, can't show him <laughs> smile must protect the character <laughs> must keep the integrity of the gimmick next up it's neil and fash but unfortunately they're facing trojan hunter and the wolfman but last up it's neil and the fash man or should we call him the flash man <laughs> okay so just to give some context for all of this they're taking on trojan hunter and wolf Fash is bloody quick at this, right? He gets like four points like right off the bat. John Sachs talks about how the fact that Wimbledon aren't going to part with John Fash, not even for three million. God, imagine that, Ash, a football player being sold for three million and that being a talking point. Like that's chump change these days. Do you know what? That's really depressing <laughs> that we've Isn't reached just, that point. Yeah. I mean, three million would be the signing bonus. Anyway, Fash gets loads of things and then, you know, John Sachs is talking about how like you wouldn't see Bob Monkhouse out here doing, you know, doing this as a, as a presenter doing this show. And then I panicked because Fash goes down and they play it like really seriously. He's on all fours. He's on his knees. He's on his hands. Oh, no, something bad has happened to Fash here. He's taken an injury. Maybe he just got winded. I've, I've legit written my notes here. 
he goes down, he doesn't get up. Oh, no. One of the gladiators go to help him up, and he's just like, no, down, staying down. And I'm like, has, has he torn a hamstring? Has That's he, it. like, is he dislocated a knee, an ankle, back injury, head injury? All of these things could happen in this event. And I was so worried because he clearly was so excited to do this. This is, you know, he's, he's the presenter of the show. He signed up. Oh, the second event. He's gone down with an injury. Well, Fash is not winded. It's something far worse. He split his shorts. They'll be calling him John Flashanu next time. There he goes. Two points there. Great speed from Fash. Nope, his cock fell out. Yeah, he had a groin injury, just not in the way we expected. His shorts split from navel to nether regions because you see the back of him and you can see the hole in his shorts. He's showing a little bit of arse cheek. But he is staying down because little, little Fash is, is yeah, little Fash is being covered by a gladiators logo, and you know, and he's waving hello to the NIA. <laughs> that was when I realised what had happened is when the gladiators logo is like covering up his knob. <laughs> he's just standing there, no one just there, proper having a giggle of this. And he stands up and he's like picks up one of the power balls to put over his nether regions to cover his modesty while Ulrika interviews him. And he just goes, I exposed myself. He did miss a trick, though. He should have grabbed one of the blue ones. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and Ariki, you know, I felt bad for him as well because he did say, that's quite humiliating. And Ariki's like, Joe, it's not humility. You got six points. And, you know, there's big cheer for him. And he puts a little towel around his waist. And you've got Oliver saying, like, you don't have to cover up, mate. You've got nothing to be ashamed of. Someone should tell Oliver that, you know, swinging free is not acceptable on Christmas Sunday. <laughs> tell you what, that would have got the grannies to turn over from Songs of Praise. Blimey. I laughed at this so much. Way more than I really should have done. Like, I proper belly laughed when I realised what happened because I had, like, the rollercoaster emotions of thinking he'd got injured only for his knob to have fallen out. And... I, I said earlier that my wife doesn't see any like she doesn't watch anything that we do for this right she, she's listened to the podcast a couple of times because she's very supportive but she's never come in to watch a bit of games master she's never come in to watch a bit of nightmare or crystal maze or anything like that done my recording i had to show her this though because <laughs> i was like i was like okay you're never gonna you're never gonna believe what happens and i showed her the whole thing and she went through the whole gamut of like oh no and then the laughter of, of like when the little gladiator logo is covering up his knob. And then she absolutely busts her gut during the interview when he's got the little ball and he just goes, I feel humiliated. Oh, it's so heartbreaking. But after we get a Christmas greeting from Wolfman and the Powerball team, and whilst Pash is trying to exit the arena with some degree of dignity, we get what I think may be John Sack's line of the night which he says we've had Widow Twanky, two ugly sisters, and now little John. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of John, John, what are the scores? Was after two events, Billy's on five, Dennis seven, Gary 11, Oliver 12, Fashion Neil leading with 16 points apiece. Over to Uli by the wall. Coming back from the ad break, we've got the third event of the evening, which is the wall. Going up first is going to be Dennis taking on Lightning and Gary, who will probably be very shit at this, taking on Zodiac. Now, some of the gladiators in this annual, they don't get the standard interview. They get more of a fact pack, and that's what Zodiac gets. But at the time of publishing, she was 27 years old, 5 foot 9.5 inches. And of course, 
For both the men and the women in this book, we get the vital statistics, hers being 38, 26, 35, and she's from Cobham in Surrey. Well, there you go. Her favourite subjects were sports art and languages, her dreaded subjects were physics and chemistry, and her first competitive event was the egg and spoon race at junior school. (laughs) And apparently her training pals will be Shadow and Jet as they live quite near to her. And she thinks that the best part about being a gladiator is being part of a winning team. Aw, very lovely. Honestly, some of this text may have actually just been like on the form she filled in to become a gladiator. <laughs> it does feel very much like this is the form we give you on a clipboard to fill out before you go up. Or they didn't actually get to have an interview with her, so it's like, just make up any owl bollocks. I mean, that's entirely possible. She was a gladiator that debuted for season two. So... Mm, yeah. So she might she might have been one of the ones. There are some gladiators that debuted in season two that do get the full interview in this book. But, yeah, maybe they just didn't get round to it or didn't have the time. An interesting bit of commentary here, that Gary Mason is trying to establish arm wrestling as a, a legit sport in the UK. And it made me think of the arm wrestling lads that we had on Gamesmaster. And I, ju- I just wonder, like, if they ever actually connected at any point. If Gary Mason's, like, take, you know, wants to do it as a serious thing. For a lot of celebrities, we generally go by their Wikipedia page, and there isn't anything in there about that side of him. I wonder if that was serious or if that was just John Sack's way to make a joke about his ability to climb the wall. The wall is probably the most normal event in Gladiators. It is essentially a climbing wall. It's a 36-foot-high climbing wall, so it's a substantial height. And in addition to racing your opponent to the top, you're also being chased by gladiators that leave shortly after you. They will go on the second whistle. They will go on that second (laughs) whistle. And yet, despite the fact that it is probably the simplest and the most, I guess, pedestrian of gladiators' events, it was also often one of the most tense. Just because the gladiator caught up to you didn't mean it was over. If you could hang on until the clock ran out, you could still get some points. You could still hang on. Just grab a hold. Just see if you can stay on. Three, two, one. But the first whistle blows and off they go and they start to make their way up the wall and Gary's not doing great. This is not his, man. This is not his game. This, this sort of thing is not going to play to Gary's strength, which is his strength. He's all upper body, really. He's all upper body and mass. And that's going to be a problem where you're having to pull that mass up 36 foot of wall. Now, Dennis isn't a small guy. He's obviously in a different weight class to Gary. But he manages to do really well in this event. He shakes off the leg twinge from earlier, which also makes me wonder, did they film them in order? You know, Hmm. was this done in the same order? But it doesn't matter because whilst Zodiac very, very quickly catches up with Gary and dislodges him from the wall, Dennis makes it all the way to the top. He doesn't get caught. He zips right up there. He's really quite an impressive performance. Yeah, he gets stuck at one point, which is like when lightning gets close to him, but he recovers very, very quickly to get over. It was a really, really strong performance from him. I guess the key is don't panic. Literally, don't panic. Because if you panic, you fluster, you lose your footing more, and it's over and done with. 
So this post-match interview takes a bit of a turn because normally it'd be like, well, how did you find it? How did you do? What went wrong? No, Arika's just straight in there going, you wanted to be caught, you dirty old man. I think it was a way to just sort of cover for the fact that he didn't get up a third of the wall. Barely got off the starting blocks. It was that weak and feeble look about you. No, 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 make no mistake. I gave it my best shot. But they say that women are the weaker sex, but this is proven proof that they're not, are they, women? Let's hear it. He, he's here to inspire Ash. He's here to, to inspire us all. We're, you know, we're all, we're all gladiators, really. He's inspiring me to pick my moments and choose to keep my mouth shut at times, which is something that doesn't happen often, as you've experienced on a weekly <laughs> basis. Thank God for editing. Another big matchup in this second one, though, because, yeah, we've got Oliver versus Scorpio, but... It's Vinny versus Jet. Oh, your favourite Jet. And I say that as if, like, she wasn't also my favourite, really. (laughs) (laughs) She was everyone's favourite, really. Jet also gets a two-page spread in the book, as do all the gladiators, really, but she gets a bonus quote from John Sachs in a box out that says, this girl was born to be a gladiator. But the actual interview itself does go into the fact that Jet wasn't always so confident and had such a presence. Apparently she saw herself as an ugly duckling while she was young and it took many years for her sense of self-esteem to grow. And while at school, Jet did receive a whole lot of encouragement from her parents and tutors and says, without that, I wouldn't be where I am today. And that's what spurs me on to teach. Because even leading up to her being a gladiator, and again after her career as a gladiator, she was a teacher. She taught fitness. She taught dance. She's still doing stuff on YouTube now. And Mm -hmm. it's so easy to see why Jet was such a favourite, not just for people that fancied her, but for people that just found her compelling as a person. There's identifiable qualities there. Yeah. It's it's lovely. She, she just feels so wholesome and earnest. And then they pair her with Vinny. Yeah, but I think that's kind of like, you know, she is the most popular gladiator, I would argue, outside of, you know, Wolf. And you want to pair her against the big Panto villain. Like, it's, it, I think it's a smart pairing uh, of these two because Jet's going to be the one to, to pull him off the wall. Oliver gets over. He, I, I think actually Oliver and Vinny both, you know, race up the wall. The girls have got a lot of ground to cover to chase after them, but Oliver makes it over. But Jet absolutely tears Vinny away from that wall. By the ankle. She doesn't even have to mm. get the full body hold. She just gets the ankle and dislodges him. There is a brief moment when Vinny is ahead when he does have the lead, but he just loses his footing a bit. Yeah. I don't want to say I feel like he might have thrown this entire show on some point, but I look at what Fash is doing and how Fash is doing, and I even look at how some of the other competitors are doing, and I don't see a reason for Vinny to be doing this badly by chance. I think a lot of this is, yeah, throwing is a harsh way of of putting it, but I do think that he is he was destined to come last on this. In the same way that I think Fash was always destined to win, I think Vinny was always destined to come last. I wonder if Vinny just knew the value of his brand already at that point. That's it. I, that's exactly what I think. Because I think to like to someone like uh, a Gary Mason or an Oliver Skeets or whatever, getting and scoring highly is important because that is important to your brand. For Vinny Jones, the amount of points he gets doesn't like it doesn't matter. 
doesn't matter how many points he gets because it's Vinnie Jones. It's all about being that. It's about being the character, about being Vinnie. Last but not least, it's Neil. He's going to be pursued by Nightshade. And there's my little star. It's Fash. He's going to be chased by Falcon. Over to John Anderson. Three, two, one. And lastly, we have got Neil versus Nightshade and the little star Fash versus Falcon and her mullet. Oh, it's a beautiful mullet, though. Now, Falcon's someone we've encountered on Games Master, and we talked a little bit then about just how, again, likeable and nice she appeared. I mean, she was 29 at this point, but she does feel, I think, a bit older, not because she looks old, but because she has kind of a uh, maternal caring nature to her. Like, like she feels like a responsible adult. Even if she's yeah. business at the front and party at the back, she still feels like someone you could probably trust with your kids or, or you know, not to burn the house down. Now, there's an interesting contrast between something that John says on commentary and something written in this book, because by what I heard, John says that this is Falcon's first time on the wall. In the book, under the fact section, she lists her favourite event as the wall. Is this again just them making up any owl bollocks to fill out an annual? Or it was her first time on the wall on TV. Because Maybe, don't forget, yeah. we've had the live shows as well. Mm -hmm. But she says it's exciting and different to the common competitive events, which I find odd because actually that also goes against... Maybe she just didn't give the best interview, but she thinks her toughest event is Atlaspheres because it requires a lot of skill and technique as well as stamina. That is very true. Stamina is key for Atlaspheres. But she lists her hobbies as weight training, jazz dance and ballet. There you go. Fash doesn't spin his shorts this time. It's going to be a tremendous view if he does. Oh, he's off the wall! Go again, John. The wall move. He's going to have to get a move on now. He's being chased by Falcon, her first attempt on the wall. And this, I think, is one of the examples here where you could say that, you know, the, the, the game is in Fash's favour. Because Fash, right at the start, slips. He starts to climb up the wall, bob, slips right back down. And it looks like, I was like, oh man, his day is over. His day's just getting worse and worse and worse. Cock falls out, falls off the wall. And they just go, now nah, go and have another try, mate. And I thought to myself, there is absolutely no way he is winning now. There's no way he's going to get over the top here. Because by the time he started, Falcon's or like the second whistle has gone for Falcon. And yet somehow Fash gets over and Falcon gets nowhere near to him. Maybe Falcon wasn't trying as hard as she could have, but also Fash is bloody fast. The reason he slips is because he's going so quickly. He doesn't allow his foot time to settle and that's why he loses his grip. But he zooms up that wall. In fact, everything he does in this entire episode is fast. And... Mm -hmm. You know, you can say that the gladiators went easy on him in some bits or he was given a bit of an advantage in some other parts. 
But you can't take away from the guy's pure raw athleticism. It's, quite frankly, astounding. Even if the gladiators were throwing it so that he could win, I don't care. Because I think it makes for a much better episode because of it. And yeah, you're absolutely right. He's also, as I said during Powerball, fucking hell, he's quick. While he may have been quicker than Neil, Neil does have better grip strength because Nightshade catches up with Neil and locks on. And you know what? I did wonder if he might actually be able to hold on for this one because his grip was mighty. Yeah. And it's it's kind of sad when he does get pried off because I kind of wanted him to either shake her off or just, I don't know, keep climbing. <laughs> just, just, just keep climbing with her limpeted on. Because she's got the proper body scissors off and like rips him away from this wall. And we get a post-match interview with Fash on the top of the wall where he says he's very pleased with those 10 points because he knows he'll need them later on. I don't know, mate. I don't think you do because you're, you're <laughs> setting up for a hell of a lead if you get to the Eliminator. He gets to the Eliminator. But, <laughs> yeah. but down on the ground, Nightshade says she expected a hard fight and she got it and she wouldn't expect anything less from a fellow Olympian. Bigging up the Olympics there. I kind of dug that. Yeah. The, the, the it's lovely. proper respect. Yeah, it's proper lovely. What happened at the beginning there? I slipped and I fell over and I was just about to have a tantrum and I heard somebody shout, go again. <laughs> That's very unlike yourself. Yeah, isn't it, isn't it, yeah. And may I say, you've got very nice legs. It's the first time I've seen them in two years. They're lovely. Thanks, Ollie. <laughs> I did very much enjoy Fash saying that he was going to have a tantrum because he was he was too quick and he slipped off the wall and he was about to have a little paddy, a little tantrum, and he just had a little voice go, go on, have another crack at it. I'm glad he admitted that he was about to have a bit of a tantrum because if he hadn't, it would have been blatantly obvious if, if they used any of the footage because you could see he was about to have a proper jumping up and down possible use of a bleep you know, on gladiators, which doesn't happen often. Is it meant to be a DQ after both feet leave the ground on the wall? I've no idea, to be honest. You can hear, you can hear it's John Anderson that tells him to, to get going. I'm just checking and seeing if the Gladiator Annual has any official rules for the wall, because all the events have a double-page spread as well. No, he should have lost. Yeah. It says here, with 36 feet to reach the summit, contenders have just 60 seconds to achieve a maximum of 10 points. With Gladiators hot on their tails... Contenders must race up the wall and by clinging fast gain five points. Once contact is lost with the wall, contenders are automatically disqualified. So depending on how you read that, he should have either got to go again or been disqualified because in the context they're mentioning it there is related to gladiators pulling you off. The wall. The wall. <laughs> I mean, you know, whatever floats your boat. But he didn't get yanked off. No, there's no way to make it sound good. He didn't get dislodged. <laughs> there we go by a gladiator he got dislodged by his own exuberance yeah he peaked early i think it was fair to let him have another try to be honest it's for charity they've already raised 20 it, odd k for a one charity and it's all it's all in the spirit of it it's christmas sunday like let's not let's not get too hard and fast with the rules here it's christmas mate but Ulrika also says what we're all thinking she compliments his legs she thinks they're lovely <laughs> so end of event three john what are the scores so the scores after three events, Vinny Static on five, Gary 11, Neil 16, Dennis 17, Oliver 22, Flash the Flash 26. Don't know why I'm looking up. <laughs> John? It's acting. It's acting. <laughs> Welcome back. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. To the National Indoor Arena and like Cinderella, we're off to the ball. Atlaspheres. In this event, three contenders take on two gladiators. The three contenders are situated in the center of the arena and will break to the pods on the referee's whistle. A special event for a special show. Well, like Cinderella, we're off to the ball as we come back from the ad break because it's Atlaspheres. So this, I mean, this is a bloody tough game, this. You've got three of the competitors in these giant hamster balls and you've got these pods that are, you know, just sort of scattered around and you've got to roll over the pod and make it go, uh, make some smoke come out of it, and you get three points for going over it. But you're in these hamster balls, so you're going to be bumping into each other. You've also got gladiators in other hamster balls that are stopping you from going over the pods. This is tough, man. This is a really, really hard game. But I will say it's probably my least favorite of the ones we get today. They've made modifications to this game to account for the higher number of competitors. And that shows because traditionally it was two on two. Two gladiators, two contenders. We've now got three contenders and two gladiators. It's also another intergender event. And it does mean that with two only it does mean that with only two gladiators, there's always gonna be one competitor roaming free. If you want to do three competitors, give us three gladiators. I don't think they had enough atmospheres. We're already onto the backup colours. That's what I mean, because like, because you've got in this first one, Dennis is in the red one, Gary's in the yellow one, and Vinny's in a black one, which is also the same colour as the gladiators one. I can't believe they'd have only had maybe one spare. Maybe they couldn't get the colours to balance, that's the issue, because, you know, it already looked a little bit odd. Yeah, it, yeah, this this works better when it is two on two because we are in like emergency chairs territory here. You know what? I agree with you. It may be my least favorite event we get here tonight, but it's still fun enough. And, yeah. and we still get some impressive scores. And just as a little factoid, we've already gone over what the game is, but this was also the first. This was the first event to be shown on Gladiators when it began in 1992. This is how Gladiators began here in the UK. Oh, that's cool. And I bet you that one wasn't as high scoring as this one turns out to be because, man, we get some points racked up between our six competitors here. Contenders, ready! 
Finney's in the black atmosphere. Dennis in the red. And Gary's in the yellow. Gladiators ready! And as a special Christmas present in the commentary box with his tinsel, it's Trojan. Oh, hi there. Two, one! really do like Gary scores three very very quickly as does Vinny another three for Gary uh, Dennis takes a little while to get started but then eventually gets up onto the board another three for Vinny another three for Gary another three for Dennis another three for Gary uh, Dennis falls over but bloody hell Gary scores 12 points in this whilst this is going on we don't just have John on commentary Trojan has penetrated John's box very nice John didn't seem to complain so why not but it does also show that while Trojan may have that kind of cool and arrogant look, he's actually a bit of a dork on commentary. He, he guffaws quite a bit. He has a proper <laughs> <laughs> kind of laugh. It actually endears me to him more. I, I quite yeah. like him on this one. And yes, if you are keeping score at home, which you, know, you don't have to because that's what we got John for, this is the first point that Vinny has picked up since the very first game of the day. Dennis, I have to say, I'm very impressed. It's very rare that we get people go on Atmospheres for the first time and score nine points. How did you find it? Uh, it's amazing. It's fun. I love this. This is a nice game. But uh, I'm serious. I'm out there to uh, take care of those gladiators. So let the beatings begin. Something about let the beatings begin? I'm not quite sure what he was saying <laughs> at this point. Neither was Arika. She moves on to Vinny, who says she wants him to take this well. Now, I want you to take this well. Um, you scored three points. Three? That's very good, you know. Yeah, I know how golf is still now. And she tells Vinny he got three points, which Vinny seems very happy with. He celebrates that fact. Yeah, I think they, they might have thought that he would play up the fact that it was like, what, only three? I definitely got more than that. Argy, bargy, argy, start another fight and etc. But actually, he does go like, oh, that's way more than I thought I got. I know what it's like to be a goldfish. <laughs> a line that really made me laugh. Also because of the absurdity of the concept of a goldfish being in a metal cage. <laughs> and a hamster ball. All right, Gary, leave the girls alone, for goodness sake. They've just been working very hard. You're all soaking wet again. It's very hard, very competitive, and um, the two lovely gladiators. I would normally be chasing them, but unfortunately they were chasing me today. Please stop opening your mouth, Gary, because this is just not good. Any of the events where he is faced with women competitors, that is like, as all he can think about is like, what line can I say here about ladies? It's 1993, everyone. Let's with his awooga! Do you know what that means, Trojan? Well, it's what I say when Shadow hits me with a pugil stick. But... Well, I actually asked him earlier what it means, and apparently it's Nigerian for joy and happiness. So we wish you an awooga Christmas, Fash. We've learned a lot from your tome on today's podcast, but here is something I've never known, which is awooga is Nigerian for joy and happiness. So John Sachs wishes us an awooga Christmas. Now... When John first said that Fash told him this, I kind of said bollocks, because we and many people operate on the understanding that Fash stole a Wooga from Craig Charles. Mm -hmm. 
He started using it after he appeared on Cyberzone. Craig Charles had been using it for a while. I think he picked it up from Red Dwarf, which means technically it was a Grant Naylor thing, because on Red Dwarf you have the Awooga Waltz. That's what they do when the alarms are going off. So I wrote down, basically, this is bollocks. Because I also tried to run the word Awooga through Google Translate, and it didn't work. However, after I'd finished making my notes, I went downstairs to cook dinner, and whilst I was cooking dinner, I popped the episode on again, and my partner Sol was watching it as well. And we came to this point, and I made the exact same comment that I'd written down, which was bollocks. Sol did much more diligent research than me, and has found out that whilst it's not spelt Awooga, it, it does actually mean great joy. Well, there you go. But it's spelled A-Y-O-G-A as kind of two separate words. Aha, uh-huh. whereas we would write Awooga as just being A-W-O-O-G-A. Now, I don't know the pronunciation, and I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it as it's spelled. But it does leave me conflicted, because it may mean that in Nigeria. But also, he definitely stole it from Craig Charles. <laughs> the two are not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. He can have done both. And I think for argument's sake, he absolutely did both. But it is a fun little fact. This time, our superstars are going to be facing Falcon and Panther. Contender! Oliver's in the black atmosphere, Neil in the red, and Fash in the yellow. Gladiators, ready! Is it any tougher for the girls out there, Trojan? It is a bit, because they've got like, less body weight, but I mean, they're strong, they're tough. They're going to cause some damage. Well, Falcon and Panther are going to be our gladiators that are going to be taking on Oliver, Neil and Fash in all of this. And man, these three do pretty, pretty good at this, with the exception of Oliver. Kind of similar with uh, Vinny in the last one. He only scores three. But uh, yeah, Fash does really, really great in this. And Neil scores 12 points the same as Gary Mason did. And one of my favorite bits of this particular round of Atlaspheres is that all the way through it, Whenever John rolls over a pod, you can hear him shouting, Awooga! Awooga! <laughs> Tremendous energy there from Bash. Three points. He goes through the smoke. Ooh, good hit. Oh, great hit! Yeah, the contenders did well there. Yes, they did. And you better get ready for the next event. I have indeed. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, Trojan. Let's look at Oliver. He had the opportunity to score, but never quite centred his atmosphere. And in fact, that's the last thing we hear from him just before the whistle blows to mark the end of the event. And Trojan departs John's box because he's got to get ready for Jewel. In the post-match interview, I like Panther talking about how like, she doesn't usually chase guys, but I was so distracted by her massive hair that I didn't really take in a lot of what she'd said. Her hair is peak 80s carried over into the 90s and it takes a certain personality and charisma to carry that hair off. She does it. It fits her mm-hmm. character. It fits her persona. She'd look weird with straight hair. Yeah. It's a look that she carries off well. And we also see Fash do a little dive out of the pod. Like, so the, 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 the hamster ball opens up and does this little dive and sort of, you know, does this roll through from it. And he's pleased with the score. Panther comes up to him and talks about how he's not been learning his lines. He's been coming in here to practice. And I've just written here in all caps, 
I fucking love this show. Yeah, it, it it's peeling back the curtain to use a phrase we sometimes use about ourselves, where she goes, that's why he never knows his lines. That's why he always has those little pieces of paper in his pocket. Which, you know what? That's probably true. I bet you that happened. This episode reminds me, to use another wrestling comparison, of the concept of a house show. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you have wrestling shows that go on television, everything is tightly scripted. You have to hit your angles. You have to perform in a certain way. You have to represent the company and your character as the company wants you to. But house shows are not televised. House shows rarely have cameras in unless they're to show what's going on in the ring on the big screen. And that's when the wrestlers, particularly for the big two or three, like WWE, TNA, Impact, that's when they get to have a bit of fun, when they get to cut loose, have dance-offs, be a bit goofy, let some of their more natural tendencies as entertainers show. And that's what this reminds me of. It's like a televised house show where they're making little in-jokes that we're being let in on. And I loved it. I, I think it yeah. was great. It, it Again, this got a proper smile and a bit of a belly laugh for me because I love the shade being thrown. They're ribbing Fash, even though he's doing well, but they're not doing it to be mean. They're doing it because they're coming across as a family. Yeah, they're all friends. But it's the end of event four. We've got one more event before the Eliminator. Let's find out what the scores are at. After four events, Vinny moves to eight, yet to get into a double figures. Gary's on 23, Oliver 25, Dennis one point ahead on 26, Neil's on 28, and Fash still in the lead, extending to 35. And it is a big, big, big time finale here for our events, because this is, I would argue, the most memorable of the Gladiators games. It's Jewel. It's also probably the simplest, because you are essentially hitting each other with bits of tubing with giant pads on the end. They are pugil sticks, you're standing on top of a couple of columns, and you have to hit each other until one of you falls off. You're not allowed to stand on the other person's platform, they're not allowed to stand on yours, you're not allowed to put your foot on, you're not allowed to put your hand on it. The rules aren't really simple, but there is something compelling about it, because there are a lot of games where speed and agility of the contestant can outdo a gladiator who may be bigger and stronger but not quite as nippy. Duel is not one of those events because in Duel muscle matters, centre of gravity matters, mass matters and you're going to get your head caved in with a giant cotton bud. Now my memory might be playing tricks on me here but these were definitely sold as toys weren't they? I don't know if they were sold as kind of like um, role play toys you know like 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 yeah. kind of kid size so you could hit each other with them i think that might have been a bit too on the nose but there was an action figure playset where you could put your gladiator and contender action figures on two platforms put the pugil sticks in their hands and then it was kind of like rock'em sock'em robots that's exactly it yeah yeah, yeah. do the thing they, they, they one of them will eventually fall off well it was known as duel in the uk in the us it was known as joust but you're not jousting you're Maybe. using like you're jousting sort of in a way but it's not joust, is it? I suspect the reason is, is because if you called Duel joust in the UK, because we are knights of old and castles and shit, most school kids would go, that's not jousting. But something that started appearing during the Wembley shows of 93 and would go on to appear in the TV show, we did have something called joust, which was essentially 
like Jewel, but on top of modified mechanical rodeo balls. And instead of a two-handed pugil stick, you kind of just had half the handle and the end. Like you would in jousting. Except not, because jousting is about a long pole and you actually move towards each other. This was more handbag fighting on top of rodeo balls. In, in a way, I mean, and, and yet still, not a flying ostrich in sight. This is not proper joust. Atari presents Joust, the video game where buzzard men battle ostrich men. The graphics go beyond your wildest dreams. Oh, that joust. Oh, <laughs> I see now. Yes, no, no. Flying ostriches, no. You would not get those in the NIA because no one would be willing to clear up ostrich shit off that carpet. And hey, do you like Queen? Do you like the song Another One Bites the Dust? Get used to it. You're going to hear it a lot. And I'm here for it because I bloody love that song. But in fact, um, Another One Bites the Dust is uh, used to train medical professionals on how to apply CPR. Like, it's, that's the, the beat that you should follow. No, boom, boom, boom. That's the, the pressure you should be putting on. And in that, in that rhythm. It's one of a number of songs, isn't it? Because it's essentially anything in that particular time or cadence. Yeah, just don't do the other bits. Don't go, do 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 Just stick, stick to the bum bum bums bits. Yeah, Staying Alive by the Bee Gees is another one. <laughs> it's another one, yeah. And first up, it's Oliver! He's facing Hunter. And we asked Oliver earlier today if any of the gladiators worried him. The only uh, gladiator that really worries me is Shadow, and it's not his size, it's just his eyes. He tries to hypnotise people just before the contest, and that's what puts people off, but he's not going to do that to me. On guard! He can set his mind at rest, he's facing the rookie Hunter but he'd still better protect himself because this lad learnt a lot over the past 14 weeks. Three, two, one! Oh, four faults for a refusal there. The show jumper did the jump without his horse. Anyway, up first we've got Oliver versus Hunter. Hunter, the rookie of the group, just pushes him straight off. Bosh, off you go. Another one bites the dust. Yeah, we spend more time hearing from Oliver saying that he was worried about facing Shadow because Shadow tries to hypnotise people with his eyes than we actually see Oliver fighting in this event because it is like whistle and whistle and that's it. There isn't even enough time yeah. for the music to start properly. It's just <laughs> done and dusted. Oliver passes on his experience to his co-competitors, which is essentially, I got clobbered. Yeah, he said, I ducked the first one and then I got shucked in the face. Next up in Duel, it's my star, it's Fash! He's up against Trojan! We asked Fash if he was going to be nervous this evening. Oh, you know, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't going to be nervous. I, I would get very nervous. But I mean, we talk about nerves, I've got a funny story on nerves. I mean, when we did the first series last year, you know, I had a little sort of cascade of, of whiskey, and I hate whiskey, but I brought it along. A little of football is what you do is you have a little sip before you go on. It just warms you up, gets rid of the nervous energy, and, you know, you get on there. So I said to Ollie, Arika, I said I could see she was very nervous. 
And I said, Ollie, look, do you have a little sip of that? It'll warm you up, love, make you feel good, get rid of the nerves. I said, I'm as nervous as you are. She had a little sip, and I had a little sip, and I said, I'm just going to put it behind here, the ledge, behind the back of the stage. Before we go on, we'll have a little sip again, and we'll just go out holding hands, and it'll be great. So when I looked over from the other side of the stage, I could see her ears were glowing nice and red, and her face and her cheeks. I could see she looked so relaxed, everything was funny. So I thought, I better, just as we were going on stage, I thought I'd better get to the little cascade and have a drink. When I got to it, she'd drunk the whole lot. It had gone. So I had to go on stage, absolutely dry, really nervous, and I kept looking at her, smiling and laughing, and I thought, you got it. Yeah, so basically, Ulrika Johnson was pissed during the tapings of Series 1 of uh, Gladiators. I love this story as well. It was hilarious. Because not only does it peel back that they were both nervous and the concept that Ulrika basically necked a hip flask full of whiskey. But the thing I find most fascinating is John talking about it and going, yeah, we do do it before football matches all the time. And I'm like, you what? I know. <laughs> it's such an early 90s story. This era, it, just, it doesn't exist anymore. Like this of, you know, players going out, oh yeah, we used to go down to the pub before we go and do a game. That's not happening these days. No, no, it's, it's like strict regimen, strict diet, strict this, that and the other. You know, we're talking about Vinnie Jones. Vinnie Jones is the sort of person that is, he is a professional footballer and he has two pints and a packet of crisps fash being like oh yeah we all we all drink a bit of whiskey before we go out and play a football game and the best thing is the bit he's most pissed about isn't that she was drunk isn't that she drank all the booze it's that he had to go out dry <laughs> yeah i had to go and do this sober <laughs> great story there from Three, fash don't forget trojan thomas two, is going to take fash apart one. let's watch this one So this chill bout, Trojan is proper naff at this because Fash ducks, right, as Trojan swings. So Trojan sees that he's ducked and thinks, aha, well, I'll try that again. And so Fash just stays ducked. And Trojan sees that and thinks, well, I'll, I'll try that again and just swings from him again. Trojan just keeps swinging for the fences while Fash remains ducked. And I'm like, Trojan, man, change up your stance. There's a couple of things that could have happened here. One is... Trojan was being a bit dense. The other is the aforementioned idea that maybe the gladiators were going a little easy on Fash. But the third one is he may have been operating on the understanding that at some point Fash would start to stand up. Because the thing is, the way John was crouched, if Trojan had just smacked him with the pugil stick, it wouldn't have done anything. His center of gravity was so low, it it might have shuffled him half an inch, but it wouldn't have upset his balance. What he could have done to upset his balance is instead of a swing as a roundhouse, gone for a jab. Because he That's could have rocked him back yeah. on his haunches. Then again, we're doing this as armchair quarterbacks, as we would do with gladiators back in the day. We're not the ones stood up on a platform with a giant cotton bud in front of an NIA crowd that by that point are probably on their third large soda and all need to pee. Yeah, but in the end, Fash actually knocks Trojan off and he picks up a heck of a lot of points for doing so. Yeah, he gets him with a proper uppercut with that pugil stick. I'm trying not to be too conspiracy theory on did they let him win stuff, but I saw the the, the jab and I'm like, no, that looked that looked legit. Mm. That looked like it oh, yeah, could have rocked legit. him. You know, Trojan's tactic, as you say, was essentially he's going to stand up at some point. He's got to stand up at some point. So if I keep swinging, he's eventually going to hit it. It's, you know, it's the Lisa Simpson. I, I'm just going to keep swinging my arms and walk towards you. You get in my way. It's not my fault if you get hit. For you. Next up in duel, it's Neil. And he's a 
up against the one and only Saracen. Neil Adams, the current national judo coach, we asked him if judo would help him this evening. Well, it, it does help because we, we need all over strength. I mean, it's legs, it's arms, it's um, cardiovascular conditioning and uh, muscular endurance. So it's a bit of everything, really. So uh, I suppose that, it, it, you know, it makes us, it tends to make us a, a little bit more agile and, um, and able to, to cope with, you know, what we need here. But um, I just want to have a, a, a bit of fun with it as well. But uh, obviously, we'll all be going for it. Three, two, one. But up next, it's Neil versus Saracen, who earlier in the day said judo would help him as you need all-over strength, cardio conditioning, and it makes him a bit more agile and able to cope with what they need here, which would mean something if not for the fact the whistle blew and Saracen basically started hammering him into the ground like a tent peg. He clobbers the absolute loving shite out of this, lads. Saracen is just in a bad mood at this point. He is beating the crap out of him. It's like, stop, stop. He's already dead. <laughs> he doesn't go down as quickly as Oliver, but bloody hell, it feels like a sweet relief when he does finally get dislodged. But up next is the big one. This is the one we've all been waiting for. This is Vinnie Jones versus Wolf. This is the, the, the showdown that have been building for this entire episode here. And Vinnie cuts this promo where he says, I'm not gonna be thinking a lot. I'm just gonna be thinking how to do my victory salute. I think that's the first thing that's gonna come into my head. I'm gonna, he's gonna start staring me out. I'm gonna look into his eyes because that's when you, you can really tell a lot about somebody. So like when they get in these, Muppets off the street down here and, and taking them on, but they've got, they're taking us on. And uh, we're a little bit fit. And uh, my game's running all over the place on a football pitch. And uh, so I've got plenty of stamina. And uh, I hope he's got some as well. I'm just going to be thinking about my victory salute. I'm no Muppet off the street. I'm a proper athlete. I'm going to better him. I reckon this is how he got the job on Lockstock, personally. <laughs> Muppet. We get a shout out to Mortal Kombat in all of this as well. Yeah, John Sachs saying that this will be very close. And to the SNES version, certainly. Yeah. Although, of course, tying to the video games, Wolf has appeared, at least related to a video game. He was the cover model for the Barbarian games. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Contender ready! Well, there was some argy-bargy between the pair of them earlier. Now it's time Three, to settle the score. Two, one. Time to put up or shut up. This is going to be terrific. Now, I had a feeling that Vinny was going to do quite poor here because I'm chair quarterbacking completely the wrong hand placements on his pugil stick. He's got both hands in the same position where you want to have one over and one under so that you can get a bit more arm movement in there, which is the stance that Wolf has got, which is why Wolf absolutely batters the bejesus out of him until he falls over. It's a squash match. It's a very one-sided fight. Vinny's not happy when he gets dislodged. He looks proper frustrated. Not even, ooh, I'm a bad boy playing it up frustrated. He just looks pissed off. I think because even if he guessed he might lose, he wanted to give a bit more. Get a few blows in at the very least. He doesn't get a single thing in. It is sadly all build up, nothing much to it. I mean, there is. If people wanted to see Vinnie Jones get beaten by Wolf, then you got what you wanted. 
but I think this is maybe my wrestling fan talking, and I don't know if you felt the same. That's exactly it. You didn't want it to be a squash match. You wanted there to be back and forth. Because John Sachs cheers when he falls off, because in this story, Wolf is the hero and Vinnie Jones is the baddie. So Wolf conquered the baddie, so we all cheer. So I guess in the story they were telling, we did get the, the, the payoff. Uh, but yeah, as, as, a, as a wrestling fan, I wanted more of a payoff, I'll be honest. Over at the Christmas Club, I'm sure Vinny's got an opinion. But in there, you've just got to stay on, haven't you? Yeah. You know what I mean? The one on the head, Gaz. Boom. Gaz, if they hit your head, you're all over the place. All you hear is bang. Vinny is the most verbose we've seen him all night as he goes to the other competitors and talks about his experience, where he's just like, he just kept hitting me. I just, and he was everywhere. The big boy beat me up. He wasn't hiding in the toilets. Meanwhile, Dennis squares off against Warrior. He's sporting a shoulder injury at this point. He's got his shoulder taped up. I noticed it earlier. Mm. Dennis, of course, undefeated as British light heavyweight champion. And like most boxers, he had predictions. This is what it was. I'm going to smash Warrior. He's going to be put to rest. Now, earlier, Dennis claimed he was going to smash Warrior and put him to rest. <sighs> Warrior batters him and he falls off. Like, immediately so. And John Sachs says, rest in peace yourself. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he, he swings and he misses once, and that's all Warrior needs. Warrior doesn't even really have to do much work. He's like, conservation of momentum, off your trot, boom, done. Simple day at the office. Well, this is the one you've all been waiting for. The Battle of the Heavyweights. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Gary Mason. Undefeated British heavyweight champion between 89 and 91. And Shadow. Undefeated dual champion since 1992. Gary, as I said earlier, hasn't been in training for a number of years, but happy to join us for the special event. Well, I feel privileged to represent the people out there that sit at home and watch television. Just like what I did, sit at home, watch the gladiators, and criticise the gladiators or the performers on it, saying, well, I couldn't do that, or he should have done better, and core, isn't she slow, isn't he slow? You know, so I've come along to represent them. I've come along, I, I've just come straight, literally straight off the street, got involved, so watch me, watch yourself. But up next, it's a big match here, because you've got Gary Mason, Sonic Blastman loser from Series 1, taking on two-time Golden Joystick winner Shadow, who, perhaps less impressively, is undefeated in duel since 1992. But the big thing here is he's a two-time Golden Joystick winner. Gary is still on his people's champion kick, saying he's representing the people at home. He's come straight off the streets, so watch him and watch yourself. I bet that sounded better in his head. I think a lot of what Gary says on the show sounded better in his head than when it came out of his garb. Three! disqualified shadows down but he's not out now i would wager that gary doesn't know the rules to jewel what you mean by the fact that as soon as the whistle blows he almost immediately steps onto shadow's platform that is exactly right yes and then he knocks him off and cheers but like well one's like gary you're gonna get dq'd because those aren't the rules the result of that contest was a win to the gladiator because of the push. However, because we are all interested in a good competition, 
it will be refought. It is not permitted for either the gladiator or the contender to step across or put a hand across. They must stay on their own podium. Three, two, one. However, John Anderson's heart grew five sizes that Christmas Sunday. <laughs> I mean, it, honestly, at one point, it looks like Gary's going to win this because he rocks Shadow and Shadow really loses his footing. So much so that he actually goes down and Shadow puts his hand on the other platform. I mean, it ended in a DQ. Shadow gets DQ'd for it. Gary picks up the win. He gets five points. It still wasn't quite the slugfest that we wanted because of all the competitors on this show, Gary was the one in the best position to actually dethrone Shadow because he's got the same kind of build and upper body strength. And the fact that he got Shadow to the point where he had to put his hand down to steady himself, that is actually a big achievement. Mm -hmm. The thing I love about this is because Shadow, yeah, we've seen his fun side on Games Master, but for the most part in Gladiators, he's as straight-faced and serious as Wolf. You know, he's not a bad guy, but he is stoic. And when the round's over and the whistle's blown, the first thing he does is step onto Gary's platform and give him a hug. I was beaming at this point. I'm just like, God damn it, I'm having so much fun. <laughs> Although it is worth saying that it's amazing that he did hug him because John does have to blow the whistle multiple times because Gary <laughs> does forget the event is over. He's still beating on Shadow. <laughs> Fall off. <laughs> But also, this is actually the most carny thing we've got here because technically it was a draw. Yeah. So both of their it integrity been, yeah. is preserved. Shadow didn't really lose and Gary didn't really lose. Ah, it's all bollocks. It's for charity. It doesn't matter. Exactly. So, Luke, it's the end of the final event. Going into the Eliminator... Let's find out the scores. So the final scores, Vinny 8, and I feel the Gladiators had something to do with that. Oliver 25, Dennis 26, Gary and Neil both on 28, and Fash with a convincing 45. Ooh, a draw. Yeah, we have got to draw a poor old Vinny Jones, though, eight points there. Like, <laughs> languishing there with his eight points, whereas the next person up has got 25. Oh, it's pretty brutal. Although, you know what, I reckon Vinny probably had fun. I don't think he cared too much. Just as we go to the advert break, we get a lovely, lovely moment where the competitors get the boys a back-in-town treatment. <laughs> yeah, let's have a little run round. Welcome back to the National Indoor Arena, where we must first congratulate our winner who successfully guessed that this little flower would blossom into the deadly nightshade. Let's hear some more about her from the lady herself. I was born in Jamaica in 1960. I'm one of seven children. I have three brothers and three sisters. And um, I moved with my mum to, to Britain in 1961. So I really don't know Jamaica at all. But I'm looking forward to going back because my parents are retiring there soon. I think the first competitive sport that I really fell in love with was athletics. I started doing the hurdles and the high jump, and I really liked that. But I was a sort of um, scatty brain type of child. And so if they'd asked me to do just one event, I would have got bored. So I discovered that there was an event in athletics called Doing Everything. 
and that event was called Pentathlon, which was subsequently changed to the Heptathlon. And so I've always been a multi-eventer. I like to do lots of different athletic events. When I was 16, I got my first international vest and I competed for Great Britain. I just didn't believe it. It was fantastic. I loved that. And um, after that, I went to my first Olympics in um, 1980 in Moscow. Then I went to Los Angeles in 84 and I went to Seoul in 88. I came fifth in the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles and um, I hold the British record for the heptathlon at 6,623 points and I have Commonwealth gold, silver and bronze medals from the three Commonwealth Games I've been to and it's just been fantastic. I love it that you all sit and watch gladiators but every so often I want you to get off that sofa and do something active. Get fit, it's real fun. Well, congratulations to Amy Panicott from Barnard because she guessed the competition right, which was a little picture of a little girl. Who did she grow up to be? Which gladiator did she grow up to be? Of course, it was Nightshade. But we do then get this very lovely interview with Nightshade. She is one of the older gladiators as well. She's 32 at this point. I mean, I suppose that makes sense because she was born in 1960, but I didn't really put those. I didn't really put that math together. But yeah, you're right. Over in the Gladiators Annual, she of course has a lovely little interview as well, and apparently her favourite school subjects were history and politics. Her earliest ambition was to be a solicitor. That's quite a career departure when you consider her Olympic pedigree. But her ambition as a gladiator is to be fun, likeable and invincible, and Powerball is her favourite event because it requires excellent fitness and is a real challenge. She's not wrong. Mm -hmm. And apparently, her most embarrassing moment on the show up until this point is when she thought she was going to lose her shorts on Hang Tough. I must have missed that. I, I'm fairly certain I'd remember that as much as John Flash News. Mel and Gary, at the end of the duel, the referee decided that uh, because Shadow won the first one, you won the second one, it was a draw. He then gave you five points, which put you on par with Neil here. Now points-wise, you're not going to take part in the Eliminator. Why is that? Well, I've got a little bit of an injury. It's not bad enough to exactly stop me from taking part, but because it's close and I feel Neil's the better man for this job, we're giving Neil the job and I'm going to be his coach for this one. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. As we talked about before that ad break, we have got a tie because there's only two people that can do the Eliminator and we have got Neil and Gary both on 28 points. So Ulrika explains that Gary has picked up an injury and he is standing aside to let Neil do it. I would wager that it's probably because it's going to be a much closer race if it's Neil and Fash than it would have been if it was Fash and Gary. A kind of slightly sadistic part of me would have loved to have seen Gary run the Eliminator, but also he would have blown up before getting to the top of the cargo net. And I'm not saying that to be mean, I'm just saying that because he's got blown up in virtually every event we've had thus far. He got blown up coming onto the stage. I was going to say, if he was struggling on the wall, there's absolutely no chance in hell that he's getting across this thing. But it's okay, though, because he's going to be their coach. For he's going to be the coach for, for everyone. Ulrika turns to Fash, who's busy being intermittently coached by Gary, and says, how does it feel to be standing at the other end of the Eliminator from normal? And he says he's very nervous, and he's trying to settle himself down, especially up against someone like Neil. And Ulrika's about to continue when Gary pulls a Kanye. Certainly is. Well, uh, best of luck. You've been very good. Can I hope that when these two go, that everybody gets behind the two of them because they're both racing for charity. It's not one against the other. It's both for charity. So let's give them a big boost right the way around. Thank you, Gary. 
Gary, for whatever reason, he's he's having a great day. He's really enjoying inspiring people. He just almost like takes the microphone off of Ulrika. He's like, I've just got one thing to say. I was like, what's what Ulrika was about to do? Ulrika's like, thank you, Gary. <laughs> Take the microphone back <laughs> off him. Sober or otherwise, broadcasting professional in Ulrika Johnson. Bless Gary Mason. He's had some cringy moments on this episode. This was the cringiest one, though. I think the chasing the gladiators or weaker sex moments are the more cringy to me. This is just kind of a bit non-competitive sports day kind of feel. Those others feel a bit white knighting. But this one was also probably funnier because 20 odd years before he did it, someone else did a Kanye. For me, the reason why this one is way more cringy is because the other ones were just 1993. That was just what was on telly at the time. You know, you'd have got that on pretty much any show. This is just no one asked him to do it. It didn't need to be done, but he felt the need to do it. But on to the Eliminator itself, and Bash has a eight and a half second lead. Good God almighty, even by normal gladiator standards, that's a hell of a gap. Oh, yeah. John, you will go on my first whistle. Neil, you will go on my second whistle. Three, two, one. And look how John psychs himself up. Eight and a half seconds, but he knows what's ahead of him. Living hell. whistle goes and again John is blindingly quick he's through the up and overs before the second whistle goes and then something happens so what I think happens here is he goes to climb the rope and he slips and he realizes that it's the gloves the gloves haven't got the grip that he needs what he wants is actually just his hands to, to grip across because if he's slipping on the rope then he's definitely going to be slipping when you're doing the um, the overhead ladder thing so he got the gloves off but the gloves are on so tight it takes him a little while to get off and because he takes his time doing that it allows Neil to catch up in fact he doesn't get them off he has a crew member help him get the gloves off that's what off. I mean yeah so suddenly this eight and a half second advantage hasn't just disappeared it's been reversed because by the time Fash gets onto the ladder Neil is already a good chunk of the way across. Now John is racing to catch up, but holy shit, Luke, this takes another swerve because Neil sticks the landing. He falls off the ladder beams. I mean, Fash was always going to catch up with him anyway because Neil is taking this one at a time. Fash is doing two. He is racing across this, but yeah, then Neil falls. And oh man, this is harsh. Neil falls. And it is a 10 second penalty. Oh my God, that must have been the longest 10 seconds in the world. And I'm doing it now. You can see my body language. I am so excited just recalling this eliminator because there was drama and not even Panto Wolf versus Vinnie Jones drama. There was back and forth and even right up until the balance beam. This could go either way. But John 
as quick as he's been all night, he zooms up that cargo net. And Neil, when he can run again, doesn't waste much time. He does fumble a bit at the bottom of the cargo net. Fash gets to the top while Neil is still climbing. So I realize we didn't go through what's in the Eliminator. We're making an assumption on this one. We're so happy to be talking about this. But we've had the under and over beams, which is kind of up and down, up and down, up and down army assault course. Then the rope climb, which we probably all had to do at school at some point and all hated. Then the horizontal ladder, which is where the mishap happened. Then a rolling balance beam, which comes straight out of Funhouse. Then the cargo net. And then the coolest bit of the Eliminator. The zipline. That's the bit I wanted to do. Oh, ziplines. Luke, what is it that is so cool about ziplines? Well, it's falling, isn't it? Like, it's just, you're just going down. And, like, it's safe as houses because there is a, like, 15-foot crash mat that's underneath you that you're just going to, like, landing on clouds. It's not flying, it's falling with style. It's, and it's wonderful. And you just you just fly down it at, at great speed. Bash gets down there, and then he starts going up on the, on the balance beams. Neil, when he gets off the zip line, he goes to, like, jump off so he can try and catch up and proper face plants himself because he just falls off the crash mat that's so high up and just collapses down. He stacks it and it rattles him a bit because he gets to the balance beams which is the penultimate I guess actual challenge because there's a rope swing at the end but realistically when you're at that point all you have to do is fall forward. Yeah you could just jump at that point. The rope is there because they couldn't have people just jumping. Yeah. He goes to the balance beam and he falls off it. He has to go back and do it a second time. But at the other end where John is, when he comes off that balance beam, he lands on his ankle. You see him mm-hmm. come down and you hear him shout. And at that point, even knowing what was coming, I was just like, oh crap, he's really injured himself this time because I misstood on my ankle. I ended up like with it swelled up to three times its normal size and like black with bruises. It was horrific. And that was just walking off of a trampoline. It wasn't even jumping on a trampoline. It was <laughs> walking off and so I was at this point ready for the roles to be reversed again but no he finds it from somewhere he gets up the travelator he grabs the rope while he's still on the travelator he uses it to pull himself off and he goes through the paper yes it was telegraphed that he was probably going to win this he's had more access to the events than anyone else he's had more exposure to people winning and losing at the events than anyone else and, yeah, some of the gladiators may have gone easy on him. I'd say the do-over on the wall is sus, if not for the fact that we also then get a do-over with Gary Mason later. It's clearly that it's not mm-hmm. favouritism towards Fash. It's we're trying to make the most entertaining show possible. It's, it's, a, it's a celebrity episode. It's a charity special. With all that being said, goddamn, I was happy when he won this because you can't say that it was handed to him on a plate. He was so athletic. When he announced himself that he was going to be taking part, he, he was the guy I wanted to win, which is why I was so worried when he went down, you know, uh, face down dur- during the second game. It's why I was worried for him, because I wanted him to be able to do well and, and, and win this. I always wanted him to win. So it was bloody wonderful. It was so lovely when he actually did win. When he crashes through that paper, it's great. I was briefly worried as well, because you know I said about the ankle, is when he comes through... Ulrika is immediately up there and talking into his ear. Shit, is he okay? And I'm still not convinced he didn't injure himself because we don't see him standing up. No, no, he sat on those crash mats. Yeah, he sat on the crash mats. So yeah, I'd be willing to put money on it 
that he fucked his ankle coming mm. off of the beam. But he was so determined to win, he just went on and did it. But Neil comes through as well, and oh man, we're right at the end now. But what an hour of television we've just had! Yeah, really, really fun. I had, I had such a blast watching it. Well, Fash, that was incredible to have my co presenter come through the line and win £5,000 for charity. Tell us which charity it's going to. There's a lot of charities out there who need it, but the two I've picked, I'm splitting it. Is sickle cell, which is a black disorder, affects men, women, children, and also Bernardo's coming from a Bernardo home myself. It's a lot That's of kids, a lot of kids out there. The Bernardo boys. That's lovely. That's lovely. You enjoy it. I enjoyed it. It was good fun. I enjoyed and it. And Fash is so so happy, and he tells that he's going to be splitting the money that's been won from this between sickle cell uh, disorder that affects black people and Bernardo's because he comes from Bernardo's home. I didn't know that. Neither did I. Meanwhile, Neil, with his two thousand, is also going to split it two ways. Half is going to go to his charity, which is to do with spinal injuries, and half is to go to Gary's, which is for shelters. Very very nice stuff indeed. Merry Christmas, one and all. God bless us, everyone. Now let's see Tiny Tim get up the travelator. <laughs> but that was Gladiators, the Battle of the Gladiators, the Christmas special of 1993. I think we are probably on the same page here, Ash, but what did you make of it? Oh, I give it a solid five Awookas out of five. I had a wicked time watching this. So much fun. I mean, we joked about Gladiators on the three or so polls that we've done previous to this for the bonus episode, just missing out because there's always been a stronger competitor. And I know... I was vying for Challenge Annika for this one, and it came second. It didn't mm-hmm. do badly. Whilst Challenge Annika would have been more interesting because it's not a TV show that's really talked about, this has been more fun. This yeah. is a Christmas special, and it feels like a Christmas special. So I guess that pretty much wraps it up. This episode's dropping just after Christmas. I hope, given the circumstances that you're experiencing wherever you are in the world, you had as nice and safe a Christmas as possible and that you're looking forward to maybe not a traditional New Year's, but hopefully one where we can look back and, most importantly, look forward. How about you, Luke? Christmas is something I'm very much looking forward to this year. We are recording this um, sort of in the early days of December, but I very much hope that you all had a very, very nice Christmas as well. A lot to look forward to in 2021. Not only are we finishing Series 3, we're also going to have all of Series 4 and most of Series 5 in 2021. And with that and Season 4, we get the Gore special, Luke. We do get the Gore special. It also means we get the Baby Rom episode in Series 5. We've we've got a proper potpourri of episodes ahead of us. (laughs) But I think that will do it for here. Uh, Merry Christmas, one and all. Thank you so much for being our uh, our Patreon backers. We very much appreciate all the support you've given us over this year. A trying year it has been. Uh, We did launch a a Patreon in the middle of a pandemic, or at the start of a pandemic, I should say. But we very much thank you for, for supporting us and supporting this stupid little show that we do. And if there's one thing this year needed more of, it was positive stupidity. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, everyone. Show the stuff you're made of. Can you see the fade of the gladiators? Can you challenge the gladiators? Will you take on the gladiators? Will you be the new champion? 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.